Ross, I've got my glass of water. I've got my V8 energy drink. Are you ready for this week's episode? Well, I have my glass of water and my beer, so yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's say you usually have an alcoholic beverage. Uh, I've joined you a few times, and I think if you're if you're like an astute listener to like um, what's the word what's the words I'm looking for here? An astute listener to like voice pattern and speech patterns and like the way that we approach things, you can probably tell the episodes where like I'm I'm a little buzzed. Yeah. Or the episodes where I've had three or four beers instead of one or two. I can usually tell, even though I can't always see it, you know, kind of thing. Um, I know I didn't introduce the podcast like I normally do because uh, it's really funny. Welcome to the Pioneer Podcast this week because uh, the plans for this episode is uh, we're doing quite a throwback in this episode. We're going to be talking a lot about Pioneer in this episode. In fact, I think it's going to be the majority of the episode, if not just the bulk of the magic stuff in general. So this one, if you were... If you were, you know, wistfully remembering the the old days of the podcast, you know, the roots of where this podcast started, you know, if you if you liked it that way, you, you're going to get a treat today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're also getting a treat because the Pioneer format is just awesome right now, which is why we're going to be so focused on it. Uh, you know, really diverse metagame, a lot of really cool decks. Uh, obviously, this past weekend was the Showcase Challenge weekend, so every format had some major events. But, you know, when you look at the results in Standard and you look at them in Modern, they're fine. I don't think there's any huge problems with those formats, but there's nothing unexpected there, and there's nothing super new. Uh, so not a lot to be said when it comes to those formats. Yeah. There's a lot to be said with Pioneer. I think it is basically we need to catch up again. You know, Pioneer got yeah. put on the back burner yeah. for so long. And now after these bands, people are starting to play it. You're starting to see decks come together, some new, some old, some blend between the two. And it really, you know, it's time that everybody gets caught back up with the glory that is Pioneer. And that's what we're going to do today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you want to just like jump right into the Pioneer talk. We can always do our you know, talk about. Oh, no, there's plenty to talk about first. We're yeah, gonna yeah, sure. we're gonna te- we've we've teased them and we've teased them now so they're they're hooked that's the audience now they have to listen to us rant about other things yeah because I had a really good segue where you were like yeah we're gonna focus on pioneer and I'm like well I'm gonna try to focus as much <laughs> as I can on the show tonight because um I've got something starting uh, what time is it right now we're recording on a Tuesday evening at about five forty five right now PM my he time. means six forty five for yeah, real so people sure. so in about fifteen minutes from now for whatever time that is for you <clears throat> you know it could be five o'clock anywhere um. My Dynasty League starts up. It's not something that I have to be active in the entire time it's going on, because otherwise, like, that's just not possible. But our auction starts tonight for, for Fantasy Baseball. And for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, you might know what, like, Fantasy Sports are or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But this is a Dynasty League, uh, I think is the the way we refer to it. I don't know if that's, like, the, the official, official name for what so kind the, of league this is. The, the, it generally is. So, like, yeah. the, there's, there's the regular league where you just redraft rosters every single year. And that's sort of the classic way of doing it. Um, and you've already put the, the twist on that, which it, instead of just a straight draft, it's an auction, which for people who don't know, it, instead of just, you know, having an order and drafting the players as, as the order comes, what happens is each player, players are nominated, you know, you take turns nominating a player and then that person is, is put up for auction and each team has a certain amount of, of you know, of a, a certain budget to bid with and you bid on players and that way there's, you know, um, there's some strategy and, you know, how cheaply you can get, you know, really good guys and things like that. Uh, generally, the, you know, higher level leagues are done that way because it's a bit more skill testing. And then with Dynasty, you know, or I guess the, past that, you step up doing a keeper league where you get to, you know, usually keep, a, you know, a couple players. It depends like on the league. Three to five, like a yeah. handful. Yeah. Uh, I, I do a few of those. And um, 
And usually, sometimes it's just keep whoever you want, and it usually just ends up being, you know, you keep your best players. So each team has a sort of identity of, like, which star players they're built around. Yeah. yeah. Or you can do something where, uh, based on where your the player was drafted in the previous round, you give up that level of a draft pick, uh, you know, each year, and it, the price to keep them keeps going up and things like that. Uh, or you can do the Dynasty League, where you basically draft at the beginning of the league, and then the only time you... Re- and in baseball, you redraft minor leagues. And in, uh, you know, in any other league, you would redraft, you know, rookies and stuff. But that's all you do. So, you know, that's the most hardcore way of doing fantasy sports is auction Dynasty League, you know... You know, you probably do, like, free agent acquisition budgets and all that stuff. It It, it can get... It's gotten so detailed now. It's kind of out of control. Exactly. Like I, just, I can't stop having a smile spread on my face as you're explaining yeah. this because you did a, you did a very good job of it, and b like, this is the closest. You'll, if you want the actual experience of running a team, besides like you know day to day going into the field and like making sure your players are you know working out and stuff, this is the closest you're gonna get because. I know it sounded complicated to people listening to it, and I guarantee you, it's five times more complicated to actually do it and try to pull off what you want to do because. Every move has absurd ramifications that you make, right? Like every roster spot's important because here's the thing. There's multiple players. I might have them for their whole career. Yeah. You know, when when the league is done like season to season, it's usually pretty fungible in terms of how you're able to like drop players and pick people up because you know it's just for the season. When you do Dynasty League, you really limit the the ability you're able to do that. So it makes each roster spot more more important because you're usually, you know, it's last resort to try to drop somebody and replace them off the waiver wire. You either want them to be good or you get rid of them via trade, uh, which is just a lot harder to do. And so, like, like you're saying that and I'm not infallible. Like, I'm good at this, but I'm not infallible. It's funny, like in this in this league alone, um, I have imagine making mistakes couldn't be me. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like I, I think about you know the huge mistakes. Um, I dropped a pitcher a few years ago, and since then that guy has won a Cy Young. So who is that's, that? That's uh, Ian Snell from uh, Tampa, who went to San Diego. I, I just straight up dropped him. Uh, I had drafted him out of the minors. Um, he was okay his first year, but not great, and was pitching in the AL East when Tampa was not as good. And this is when like the Yankees and the Red Sox and like and Baltimore were still all very good, and he was getting destroyed, right? Like just killed. And I needed the roster spot really bad. He was taking up a roster spot and I had to make an executive executive decision and like just kind of panicked and like made the wrong one because we have deadlines for certain things. You know, you have to, you have to clear money by certain dates. And I had drafted him highly. Like he was like my first round pick that year in the minor league draft. So he was making like a higher, uh, you know, higher amount on the payroll. And so I was like, I want to free up these funds to go get a good free agent that was out there. You know, it's not like I traded the guy. I dropped him. (laughs) So I was like, oops. So somebody got him for pretty cheap. Here's the thing. I don't like obviously I regret that decision and and like it looked really bad when the guy like won a song. It's it's finish now. Like I don't you know, I, I think those days are behind him. I think he's still a great pitcher, like whatever, blah blah. I'm not gonna super go into the details of a single pitcher in baseball right now, but I'm San okay Diego's a like, pretty good pitcher's park, isn't it? From what it I is, remember. Here here's the thing. I, I don't think he's like a workhorse stud anymore. You know what I mean? I don't think he's the kind of guy that's gonna go out there and throw seven innings every game. Like that just Yeah. In fact, in the last and I know this is you know, Tampa's notorious for this, but in the last three years out of like qualified pitchers, meaning people that have like thrown at least like a hundred and something innings every year out of like the last three to four years, he's actually like second or third lowest in um, average innings per start. Meaning like he barely makes it into the fifth in most of the games. They don't let him face a lineup like the third time around. Yeah. And that's just become a general trend around the league. Like I remember the studs get to. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been playing fantasy sports since the late two thousands. 
mid to the late, like 07, 08-ish. Um, and, you know, back then, most, you know, rotation starters were going out there, and you could expect them to pitch usually at least six innings unless they had a bad start. Definitely at least five. Like, that was the bare minimum. And a good start started around seven. And, you know, a, a pitcher who was relatively healthy all year would usually hit about 200 innings. The real workhorses would hit like 250. Now you're looking at like, you're lucky if your starter gets through six innings. You're, you know, really, you're happy about that. And most rotation starters that aren't, you know, top one or two on their team are lucky to get like 150 innings in a year, 175. Um, yeah, 100%. We're actually... We're talking about that in a few of my leagues where, uh, you know, we've, we've been together for a while. Like there's there's one league where I'm actually involved. I'm, multiple of my leagues I'm involved with like Magic players. You can, I can even name drop. There's one league where I'm involved with like more of the old guard, like Hall of Fame type players. Like I've got like um, Eric Froelich, uh, you know, um, there's uh, Paul Rietzel, you know, um, Sperling, I think is in this league as well. I think he, he was for at least one year because I remember... One of the funniest, like, I'm not going to say exactly what happened, but he did something during the draft that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life happen. Like, we were all, we still reference it every year leading up to the draft. It gets it gets dropped as a joke, and it'll never be old. Um, I think he was really drunk, and he just, like, was belligerent during the during the draft, or something Something happened. Like, he got, you know, just, he went off, you know how Sperling is. But then I have another league where it's more like some of the guys like my age, my, my same as, you know, like Wilson Hunter's in there who, who runs uh, Cardboard Live, uh, you know, uh, Bryant Cook, you know, the epic, the epic storm. Uh, yeah, big, you know, big baseball fan, Brian. Oh my God. He's, here's the best part. We are, our favorite fandoms, because, you know, I'm a big Braves fan. He's a Mets fan. We are direct rivals, like direct rivals. Yeah, so, same division. You play, you know, 16 times a year or something. Oh yeah. There's a lot of good hearted shit talking. And I mean, a lot of it, right? And I've been getting the better end of it for a while now. Well, he's a Mets fan, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we've been beating the crap out of them for, like, the last... You know, they made the World Series four or five years ago. You know, we, we heard it then because we were the worst team in the league, and now we're, like, very, very good. But they're supposed to be very good this year. In fact, he and I have multiple bets, like, on the side about, like, whose team wins the most games. Uh, there's And there's there's amplifiers. Like, if you win the World Series or whatever, like, you know, we'll, we'll do... You know, if your team wins, all right, we'll double the bet. You know, like, yeah, yeah. And stuff. Just, just fun stuff to really rub it in, you know? Um, and, A little yeah, friendly just, competition. Yeah, and like just to swing back real quick to the to the thing that we're talking about with the dynasty league, like it's it's so nerve wracking for me during the auction because the way the auction works is whenever you put a player up, they go on the board and a twenty four hour countdown stop, starts, right? And so literally twenty four hours comes down, and within the first twelve hours, so in between twelve hours and twenty four hours, anytime someone makes a bid on a player, the clock restarts. So everyone gets a fair amount of time here because a lot of us are, I think we have one guy from Europe in our league and then we're all over the country. So like we're in different so, time zones. So this draft is literally going to take a week. It takes like a week, week and a half. Yeah. It, it yeah. usually takes the, 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 the solid part of it where the good players are involved is going to take five days at least, right? To finish some of these guys out because, and then when it goes down to 12 hours, once you get past the 12 hour mark, it, it does it that way. It's in 12 hour increments. So if you go down to like five minutes and someone bids on them, it goes back up to 12 hours. At the very, very, very end of the draft, if someone's just sitting there and like someone nominates someone for like, you know, hey, I want to like this guy for two bucks. Sometimes we'll sit on email. Is anyone gonna, you know, bid on this guy? No. All right, well, we'll in the in the bid, he gets him. You know, we'll, we'll try. To yeah, yeah. Consensus so, to end end the the countdown. And this is the big year for me because I've been kind of building towards this for like the you know last like four years where like my team is competitive. I was making the playoffs. I have a really good core of young players, right? That are all very cheap, which is like that's the ideal, right? Yeah, that's it's like, like having guys on their rookie contract. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I've got multiple guys for for pre-cheap. Like, okay, so so here's the number thing. We have a three hundred dollar budget, which is not a lot considering how many roster spots we have to have. You know, it's like every player is going to average right around ten dollars or more. You know, you're like twenty five ish players, and you have minor leaguers, so you have to think about that stuff. And your budget increases ten percent every year. So if a player makes, you know, it, it increases by like a dollar too. If they make a dollar one year, they're going to make two dollars the next year, right? And then three and then they'll they'll go up to three, and then eventually it starts. It goes. It, they'll round up. You know, but if if your player makes ten dollars, you know, like like fifteen dollars or whatever, like they go up exponentially the next year, you know, more and more and more as it goes along, and we round up, like I said. So like, you know, here's a good example: Mike Trout, who was, you know, the highest paid player, obviously, when we did this, when we started this league, he's at ninety four dollars this year for the players. This is probably the last year it's going to be on this guy's roster. In fact, he's actually kind of shopping the dude, and it's kind of hard to shop him because like. Where do you get value off this guy when he's a third of your payroll? Yeah. You know, so, and, and here's and here's why I said this year's a big year for me. I think the core of my team is very good. A superstar is available on the market for the first time. It's like the first time when it's like the big, huge superstars came off. Manny Machado is a free, is a free agent this year, you know, San Diego. And like, he's still relatively young. So if you get him at a decent price, you can go forward to pay him for a few years. You can keep him for a few years, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um. I have $210 free on my payroll. I just dropped all the dead weight for my team when someone dropped a superstar. And I think there's a lot of value on the league this year. So like, I'm pretty much saying, come at me at this draft. I was like, I will pay this dude a hundred dollars. Like I will literally give him a third of my payroll because here's, here's the thing too. It's like, I can still fill in my roster like depth wise for the rest of the year. And then next year, if like, I don't want to pay him, I can just drop him. And then I still get to bid on him again. Cause that money still comes back. Right. So I've, I've made sure to keep my team that envious, envious position for the last few years where like the core good part of my team is like so I've been you, very you've just been biding your time waiting for this opportunity. And now the opportunity is here and you're ready to strike. It would have been last year. But with COVID happening, the way the season happened, we actually just shelved the league for one year because like no one wanted to play a third of a season and then have everybody increase by 10%. So they didn't want the, the salaries yeah. to get screwed up. You know, no, I think like, that's, dude, that's Someone's great. like, look, I'm going to lose Trout a, a year early because of this. And so like, you know, or I'm going to lose my superstar a year early. And then like, we were kind of worried about like retaining our players because that's the thing too. It's like, you know, we've had the same group of guys. You have like one or two people leave and like someone took over their team. But like, that's a big deal too, is you have people that are dedicated to staying in the league because, you know, we had people who came out of the gates running and spent all their money all uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with spending all your money every year. You can't, you can't keep it with you. You know, I spend two fifty one year. I don't get an extra 50 the next year, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I built my team to be successful for the long run. Right. And now we have teams like, you know, we have one team this year that the guy's got 30 minor leaguers on his team. It has like, you know, four pitchers, you know, going into this draft and there's like no pitching, but it's just like, he knows he's not going to compete this year, but like, you know, he's got a ton of draft picks. You know, and he's gonna have some money freed up. He might be good in like a year or two if he can make it work out and work well. You know, kind of thing. So, this is a this work is the, work the trade market kind of year. But yeah, the uh, the the guy that's the defending champion. Um, I played him last year. I think I played him in the finals. He beat the crap out of me. Like his team is very very good, very young and very cheap or whatever. He just like retained pretty much his entire team. Like he could still pay for it. I think next year is the year where it starts to get squeezed a little bit. So, I'm hoping to maybe make a base this year to like. You know, because, hey, we, we have a playoff system, so anything can happen, you know, or whatever. So we'll, we'll just see what happens. But I'm I'm cons- I, I'm hoping to be one of the top three teams coming out of the, the auction this year because I'm just in a really good spot. So I'm hoping to really capitalize on that. 
And it also, the way the dominoes fell, the positioning for the players that are the best available really worked out with the way my roster works too. So I can like have a lot of interchangeable parts. So I'm really uh, looking I to love that. that in fantasy baseball is getting that position versatility, uh, you know, just insulates you from injuries so much more easily and, and weird stuff from happening. Like, like the quickest way I can run it down for you is the way we do is we have a, a player at every position and then we have two utility slots for hitters. So like they, you know, any, anyone, you know, we don't, we don't do like the a second baseman, a shortstop and second short, you know, like the slash, we just do two utility slots, like whatever you can just fill in. Yeah, we we know, do one DH. utility spot and a fourth yeah. outfielder. So outfielders yeah. are at a premium. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Um, but the way my, if, if I get the guys that I targeted, like I have a list of six guys and I'm hoping to get four of the six, but pretty much any inclin any way the four of the six falls because of the way that I have it worked out, I will have two players eligible at every position. So I will have a full roster every day. Like my team is going to put up some stats. So we're, we're hoping for that. So like you said, uh, this draft's going to take a while. I will be losing a lot of sleep over the next week. And like this happens every year. I, it yeah, to it's going to be a week where you wake up every morning and immediately check like did any bid while I was asleep. Well, here's the crazy part depending on when bids happen, because we have, you know, some people like, you know, my best friends in this league, right? He's got three kids. You know what time he wakes up in the morning? Wakes up at like four or 5 a.m. You know, he's got that and then work, right? So he gets up super early, right? Like Wilson Hunter's in here. He's got kids. He's got like four. He's got to get up super early, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a night owl. I stay up till like two or three in the morning. Sometimes make bids at three in the morning. They don't see it until four hours after that. So here's the thing. My sleep schedule gets really messed up during these weeks because if I if I bid on a player or if I see someone, I'm like, this player's got eight hours left. Because this this screwed me one year. I was like, this player's got eight hours left. I want to see if anyone else bids on him. And if not, I'm going to swoop in at the last minute and bid, right? And so I set my alarm and I slept through it one year. And like, <laughs> to this day, I'm still mad about that. Which player was it? Uh, I don't remember the exact player. I, I, I know that like they got him for $12 or whatever, and I was willing to pay like 20 for this player. And like, but I was like, I was like, oh, I might be able to save five bucks here. And you are clearly not as neurotic as I am. I would never forget that player's name. Never um, in a million years. I would know their stat lines for the next three yeah, yeah. seasons. I had to, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, putting me on the spot. I, I don't. I also have it pulled up on my other screen right now. I'll have like the thing pulled up so I can see what people are starting to do here because like the the room's filling up. People are because it starts in literally sixty seconds while we're recording this. And uh, I, I have a, a list of all the names up and, and I have a I have a spreadsheet up. So like I can't think of it. right. It's like when you're listening to music and you're trying to think of another song name and you just like can't do it because you're listening to music kind of thing. But all right, let's talk about some Pioneer. Oh, hold on. Oh, sorry, hold sorry, on. Sorry. We have oh, some I more forgot. nonsense to talk about. The, first, the jazz, the jazz is, hold on. A move we have today. more baseball stuff first because okay, sure, my sure. my fantasy league that I've literally been doing since I was in college. So over over a decade, um, I am a, a two time champion. I also have, I have finished first after the regular season more often than I have missed the playoffs. It's a 12-team league where only four teams make the playoffs. That is insanely impressive. And when you're done with this rant, rem remind me to tell you about the league that I'm still in, like the longest one. Yeah, but, but my, that draft for that league is Saturday. I watch virtually no baseball these days, is this, so is this I'm going to need you to thing? tell me who yeah. to draft. Yeah, sure. Just letting you know. So I will be contacting you on Saturday I will to say figure this. that out. You do this every year, and I have been bringing the heat the last like four years yeah. or so. So in in particular, I need help pitching because oh, I got what you, buddy. because what happened last year was I for it was COVID, and I had completely put everything out of my mind and completely missed the draft and didn't set any keepers and lost everything I had built up until oh, that no. year. They didn't let you at least like fix your keeper. That's kind of no. Uh, which is, I'm actually, I'm fine with that. They, like, they, you know, I was contacted multiple times about it. I didn't do, I didn't oh. set it in, in time. Okay. You know, it's, it's my fault. Yeah. No, so it was hundred percent my fault. 
Um, so my team is basically Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, and nothing. And that's a, that's, that's a good core. Yeah, it's not a bad. It's not a bad start. It's a five keeper league, though. I only have two oh, keeper quality good. players. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, but it does mean I'm going to have some really high draft picks among the rest of them. Okay, so I cool, need. Cool. I basically need to hit on those draft picks, you, and then I th- I think I should be fine. Yeah, you have to. So I don't know who I don't know who's going to be available. I think um. So I'll I'll let you know, and then send you'll save me. And we'll, we'll yeah, and we'll figure it out. Sleepers for this yeah. season or whatever. Um, I have a league that I'm still in, and it's. I mean, we're still. You know, we're we're generally ten to fourteen people a year in the league, and I'd say we still have like the same ten ten core people. The first time I drafted in this league, we made it. I did not have internet at my house. We we used to get lo- like together live and draft teams, and I would use the internet at my high school. I graduated from high school in two thousand and three. I went to I remember I would go to the library during lunch or whatever and set my lineup every day. Like I remember because I had like. In the, I remember having Sammy Sosa in this league. <laughs> like, that's how old this league is, right? I had to say, wow. We're called the BR Bombers because, like, we just need, we like jokingly because, like, we're most of us are from, well, mo- almost all of us lived in Baton Rouge at the time. A bunch of us have moved away. It was funny. One of the first people to move away, they teleconferenced in to the to the draft because we still did the, like the live draft. We have inside jokes in this league because we have we have one player who, um, every year when he would draft, he would not pay close attention to what else was going on in the draft. And he would always like in like round six name a player that went in like round two, and we all be like, dude, what the hell? like what the hell, man? And you think that player is like he'd be like round four in like the mid two thousands, and he'd be like Albert Pujols, and we're like, dude, he went number two, like, you, <laughs> like, like what? <laughs> like he's the second pick of the draft, you know, kind of thing. So, so we just do that. It'll be like round ten, and you'll just be like, you'll be like Fernando Tatis Jr. That's my pick, you know, like you know, jokingly or whatever. So. My my thing is taking players who were injured, who I didn't realize had gotten injured, like during spring training or something, and I'm just like, oh man, why is this person around? Snap them off, and everyone starts laughing at me, and I was like, how long are they out? And like, yeah, six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Usually, usually we're pretty good about that in most of our leagues. If someone takes someone, we'll we'll put it in the chat or like we'll say something like we'll be like, hey, like you know that guy's that guy's hurt, right? We 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 can pause the draft too, you know, because whatever. But in the keeper league, it almost doesn't matter. In fact, there's a guy that. Uh, I thought was going to be highly coveted this year on the on the draft because he was like by far the best pitcher available because there's not a lot of pitching available. But he just broke his ring finger and it's probably out for the year because he like massive he broke it near the knuckle so like he just doesn't have he won't have strength in his hand for like you know four months or something. So they're not expecting him to pitch this year and I'm like I might still bid after the guy just so I can have him next year because I can just put him on my injured list and he doesn't go towards my salary kind of thing. Oh, so. cool. But he, he will then, you know, get that salary increase for next year, and then you move him to the main yeah, roster. I got I to see the rules on that. If your player's injured, the sal- they don't play if their salary goes up. But I think it does because he's not a minor league player. Your minor leaguer's salary stays where they are until they get yeah. activated. We, when they we get told activated. you this was complicated, everyone. Yeah, it's un- like it's funny. Every email from that we send in, in the thing has two attachments to it. One of it is... Every team name with the real the person's real name, their email, like how to contact them, because like you have to actually like talk to people to make that. You can't just like send them a trade request. You have to literally talk to them for a while because you have to. You know, we're like, hey, like I want to trade for this guy. I'll give you my minor leaguer, my third round pick next year, and like you know, like and my my, my first round pick into you know, it gets complicated. And then the second one is the rules, and that thing is like sixty pages long because <laughs> it's like because like you get to we even get to make some of our own stuff too. You know, the way that the, the site that we run this on is, like, very in-depth, so it's pretty cool. All right. What's, what site are you on? It's on Fantrax, I think is okay. what it's called. And, you, like, we pay for we pay for the right to use this website. Oh, okay. Because it's, okay. it's that. You're, that you're, you're at that level. We, uh, 
We don't mess around. The the fantasy football league I'm in got we moved off of ESPN last year onto something else. I can't remember the name of the site, but Yahoo, CBS. No, it, it, it's like a specific fantasy site. It's not one ah, of the, gotcha, the gotcha. major ones. If it's a football um, one, I'm, I probably don't know. Most of the baseball ones I know. Yeah. So uh, I was just wondering, at, like, you know, which one you used. Uh, but regardless, super cool. Uh, I actually so, I, I, you know, it's weird to, for me now with fantasy sports because. In you know the, the mid mid to late two thousands when I started playing them, me and my friends were much more into baseball and football than we were basketball, and that's probably still true of the guys that are in this league. It's mostly my friends back home in Connecticut, um, but now I'm you know hardcore basketball, and I barely follow the other two. Is baseball even that popular in the Northeast? It's like it's a little less, right? Like y'all are more football basketball, I mean, right? We have the Yankees Red Sox rivalry in the Northeast. Yeah, like, like obviously there's that, but like you can't play baseball as much up there. Is what I'm saying is like like baseball is I think probably a little more popular here than it is like in the South, especially in like my city than I would think in like random Connecticut. You yeah, know I mean? like, well, I'm I'm less thinking about you know playing baseball and more just being a fan of it, right? Okay, that makes sense. And like, so so collegiate baseball is big here too, and it's definitely not that big in the Northeast. No, collegiate baseball is not. I it's mean, huge here. Uh, there are like college sports are just not that big and Connecticut is mainly a basketball city of your college sports or basketball state yeah. because of, of UConn. I um, live in one of the biggest college cities, college, you know, sports cities in America. So yeah, yeah. They, we go uh, nuts for that stuff here. So yeah, that overall just college sports, n- not as big here, but base, we were a dynasty in baseball too. We've won, I think we won like six championships in like a 14 year span or something like that. Yeah. L- LSU is one of the, yeah, yeah. The, the best ones. A lot so, of people. We put a lot of good players in the majors. Yeah. But as far as fandoms, like you know, we have the best rivalry in the history of baseball. So well, yeah, maybe in the history of sports. Arguable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we're the, looking forward to the uh, Dodgers uh, Padres starting up a rivalry in the next few years. If the Padres really are as good as everybody thinks it is, because that's I think that the West Coast needs one like that. Yeah, they had Dodgers, um, Dodgers Giants for a little bit now, there. Yeah. yeah, and the Giants, yeah, are are dead. So. Yeah, it just kind of rotates which one is going to be good enough to challenge the Dodgers, basically. You know, maybe it'll be the Angels at some point if they ever get their fucking shit together. Um, They won't. I mean, their owner spends money. He's just really bad at it. (laughs) They've been really unlucky, too. But, like, the fact that Trout's been in the playoffs once in his entire life. Like, you've had the best player in the league for a decade. Come on, man. All right, anyway, go ahead. So, yeah, it's funny to me that uh, I still play the fantasy sports that I play, even though the ones I follow the least. But I kind of like it. And I've been asked to like play fantasy basketball, and I always turn it down because I just don't want to be playing fantasy sports for the entire year. I like having the break over the winter when I just don't have to worry about it. And I hate—I I literally hate the like one month of overlaps, like the month of September when I have to try to keep track of both. Because um, I have a basketball team right now; it's competing, and I'm just like, yeah. Dude. I just I just don't have the I I don't have the bandwidth to to play that much fantasy sports. So two two is tough for a month. Uh, but it, it's an interesting challenge trying to play fantasy sports when I don't follow the sport as much. Like I remember back in the day, I'd be like, okay, like I know that those are like the pitchers' parks. I know, uh, you know, I I knew all the players, like which pitchers were lefties and righties, without having to look it up every time. Like you know, d- differences with lineups and and same with football. Like I I knew you know sort of uh, uh, what most of the the systems were and, and how that would affect you know. Uh, what the game plan would likely be going in. So I know, like, I think this is going to be a week where, like, this running back gets 20 or 25 carries instead of 15 and things like that. So now I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Um, But still fun. 
and uh, we'll see how the, this year's draft go draft goes. It can't go worse than last year's. I I, I missed the playoffs last year for like the. I, I might be equal or one over missing the playoffs as opposed to finishing first in the regular season now in the league. I, I, I stopped keeping track. I, I got like really, really into it like eight years in because I still hadn't won. I had been like number one three or four so, times and yeah, hadn't so won yet. Like, I, gotta, I was I like, gotta, I need to fucking win. And I won two in a row. And since then, I've taken it a lot more, <laughs> a lot more relaxed. Like, okay, I got my two titles. You know, my franchise is set. Nobody's going to call me. The, you know, the Clippers will be the, fine. Um, the league that I'm in that we've been in forever, we have we have a rule. If you win the league three years in a row, you get to name it for the next year. Nice. You get to name the league. I uh, it's it's come close. We had, we've had somebody win two years in a row and they're competitive the third year. I won two years in a row and then lost in the finals in the third year. And I was gonna I was gonna bring the heat on my on my league name. We had a team do that. We've had a, a couple other teams do two in a row, like I did. Um, but we, yeah, we had one team go two in a row and then lose. It was either lose the finals or lose the semifinals. But very, very close, and uh, so I, th- I think w- I think we've exhausted our, ba- our fantasy baseball talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, just we've got so, way over budget yeah. on this. <laughs> Honestly, we don't even really need to talk that much about Ursan Ilyasova, who the Jazz just signed. I just um, You're just know, excited about it, right? Because um, move. Honestly, like it, it doesn't change much at all. Move they, the needle. No, they, they so they released uh, Shaquille Harrison a couple weeks ago, and it, they had, they. So NBA roster is full at, at 15, but you're required to carry 14. Um, you can go to, you can go like two weeks at 13 or something. Yeah. And you got to, you know, refill back up. And they were, they had been carrying 14 uh, just to be flexible with the last spot and uh, released Shaq, Shaq Harrison. And so by, it was, I think tomorrow was literally the deadline where they had to fill that spot. So you knew they were going to sign somebody. I was kind of expecting them to sign like some young guy to a 10 day contract and just sort of carry 10 day contracts into the buyout season. Yeah, the a lot trade of de- do it that way. Yeah, yeah well, because the, the trade deadline for the NBA is March 25th. So that's in two weeks. And then at, right after the trade deadline is when buyouts happen because that's when teams are like, okay, well, I can't trade this player anymore and we want to get him off the roster. We'll just buy him out. Uh, so usually buyouts happen in, in the week or two after the trade deadline. So I thought they were just going to carry some 10-day contracts. Obviously, they still have the 15th roster spot. They only signed him to a, to a vet minimum, which is prorated because he's only here for you know half the season. So he'll get half of whatever the vet minimum for the year is. Um, I don't expect him to be in the rotation really at all unless there's an injury. Um, I don't like the one weird thing to me is he like plays a position that I'm not sure they need, but he does give them a little bit of extra size. Which is something they could use. The team is a little short, mostly in their backcourt. But you can sort of compensate for a short backcourt by having more length elsewhere, um, because both Mike Conley and uh, Donovan Mitchell are, are pretty short. Donovan is really like a point guard size, um, but the, uh, and Conley is small for a point guard. So having both of them on the floor leaves leaves you short. Um, but you know he's just a solid vet. He'll sit there. I doubt. I, I would be surprised if he plays any minutes in the playoffs. Um, and, but he'll just be around in the locker room. So that's our our jazz news. I can't wait to. We got our first game back from the All Star break on Friday against the shitty ass Rockets. So it should be a nice easy win. Hopefully everybody will you be also rested got a nice up. Little win over the All Star break with Conley getting to play in the All Star game. Yeah, so oh. big win for him. In so his career. Uh, like obviously it was super excited that he got to go there, and he he was replacing Devin Booker who got who was injured, and Devin Booker was also in the three point contest. So, so Conley replaced him in both. Yeah. And I immediately tweeted out, like, what I, I didn't know who was in the contest, but, who, but I just tweeted out, 
Yeah. I was like, what are the odds? Because Mike Conley is easy money for this. And because I knew he, he actually is one of the league leaders in open three-pointers. He's just great. He's just a better shooter than people realize. He's, yeah. He, um, you know, like he, it was the big the volume that most of the shooters yeah, get the recognition do, he, does. Yeah. Well, he, so he wasn't a great shooter in Memphis. He was a good shooter. And he like he played so much with the ball in his hands, like he wasn't shooting from three as often. Now that he's older and he's playing more off the ball, he and with the way the Jazz wanted to play, that was the the main thing he worked on in the offseason was just being a better you know catch and shoot open three point shooter because that's going to be something he was going to get more open threes than he would than he ever did in his career, and so he worked on it and he, you know he didn't need to get that much better, but he he is a step better this year than he was even last year in Utah. Um, and I knew this, and I'm like, it, you know, it always takes forever for like the perception of the player to catch up to the reality. And then I looked and saw that Steph Curry was in it, and was like, okay, I might have jumped the gun a little bit because Steph is insane. But you, you know, you never know. And it, it happens. And Conley balls out in the first round, puts up a yeah, 28, which was really good. But then you know, Curry went nuts and puts up a 31. But here's the thing: the other thing I didn't realize was they added two long threes to the three-point contest. Oh, so Curry's like, yeah. <laughs> so for people that don't know, the three-point contest is they put five racks of five balls around the court. So one uh, one in each corner, two two on the wings, and one at the top of the key, which is just the, the straight like shot. straight on. Yeah, straight on shot. Four balls in each rack are regular, and then there's a red, white, and blue colored ball at the end of each rack that's the money ball. And that one's the worth money two. money ball, yeah. That one's worth two, and, and the other ones are each worth four. That's been the classic way of doing it. So it was a 30, and you have a minute to take all your shots. And so you would do that, and, and you could score up to 30 points. I knew that they had recently added a rule where each player gets to designate one entire rack as their money rack, and all five balls in that rack are money balls. And so it depends on like which one the shooter, like where the shooter wants their money rack. Um, so it's going to be, it was going to be out of 30, out of uh, six, yeah, four, uh, Four, six, thirty, and then plus. So that's out of thirty-four. But what I didn't realize was was in between the wing racks and the straight-ahead rack and the top of the key rack, there's at it was twenty-nine feet nine inches, but basically thirty feet. There's this little green, you know, Mountain Dew zone because Mountain Dew was the sponsor, where you take one shot, and those are the those Mountain Dew balls are worth three. So now it's out of forty points. And obviously, like, you know, I know Conley is a, a very good shooter, but he's not, he doesn't have that range. Had I known that, I might have been a little less cavalier in sending that tweet out. So I was like, oh God, this is going to be embarrassing. But he balls out, Curry get, like, beats him by three in the first round, but he did that by making one of the Mountain Dew balls. Conley missed both. So I'm like, okay, we got a shot. We got, we're like, we still got a shot. We just, like, it's all about Curry missing those Mountain Dew balls. Um, we go to the finals and it's six people in the competition. You do a round, a top three advance, then you do a second round. Whoever wins that round wins. It's not cumulative at all. Um, and Jason Tatum, who was the third person who advanced, sucked it up in the second round. Mike Conley puts up another really good score. He put up a 27. And, you know, that, that's a good, that's a, a very good score. He actually made one of the Mountain Dew balls. And so now I'm like, okay, we're, we're looking okay. And Curry starts off, he missed his first four shots. The first four balls on the first rack, he missed. And I'm like, oh, we got a shot. And then he starts getting hot. He ended up making both Mountain Dew balls. And we go into the last rack. He missed the third shot in the rack. And at that point, there's two balls left, the fourth regular ball and the money ball in this last rack. So he's three possible points, and he's down two. So if he if he makes the money ball misses the other, they tie. If he makes both, he wins. 
And if he misses the money ball, he loses. Obviously, Curry makes both and wins by a single point. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, if you great. if you if you literally just go back and total up number of shots made, like disregard all the bonus points and whatever, Conley beat him. He made more total shots, but it was those fucking Mountain Dew balls that did us in by a single point. I was so, I was so mad because I, I was, can't help it. I can't help. It. I keep giggling over here every time you say, "Oh, those damn Mountain Dew, Dew balls." Ball. Yeah, keep talking about the Mountain Dew ball. I well, help giggling. here's the thing: because I I sent out that tweet and Anderson Leclerc literally replied with, "I'll take the field." Right, mm-hmm. and I didn't even reply. I didn't care to bet. I just wanted to, you know, hype up my boy Mike Conley. I have made multiple basketball bets of Leclerc, by the way. Yeah, and I, I, I've come out on the wrong end of all of them, basically. I have won all of them against Leclerc, but anyway, I, I, I keep taking the like, you know, give me odds. I'll take the unlikely thing to happen kind yeah, of bet. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just waiting for one of them to hit. Yeah, you right. The lottery. Yeah. yeah, like that's that's my that's um I'm just gonna stack them all at once, basically. Um. So it's that's it's just more fun that way for me. So I fully I, I fully expected to get like an Anderson Leclerc quote tweet, you know, ragging me from two days ago, and he fortunately he forgot uh, and didn't send anything yeah. out. But you best believe if Conley had won that, I was going to quote tweet myself oh, yeah. and I was ready to do it, you know. Yes. But didn't get the opportunity because stupid fucking Steph Curry is the best goddamn shooter to ever fucking tweet. live. Get the tweet in the notes like ready to send. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, but, uh, you know, came up one short, did, he didn't have a great all-star game, you know, what I didn't, the all-star game is kind of shit, so, uh, and, uh, you know, la- last year was actually kind of fun, they started trying towards the end, which they normally don't do, this year they absolutely never started trying because of COVID, like, <laughs> yeah. they basically, they, they basically played a socially distanced game of basketball, <laughs> yeah, 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 um, it, it was honestly kind of a travesty that they even had All-Star Weekend. Not kind of. Like, it, it's ridiculous that they did. It was it was a greedy move. They just wanted the money. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, fun All-Star Weekend. Happy to get back. If if for only, for no other reason, then that maybe I can start winning on Versus again. Because we actually realized that, we, so we, we had this trend where, you know, I was winning all throughout January, right? And, the, and recently, Corey started, he's won like five in a row. Right shows he started he's turning it around, but he started winning shows as soon as the Jazz went on that bad run. They lost four of seven. So when the Jazz are playing bad, I lose in verses. They were dominating January. I couldn't lose. So we, so the, unfortunately, then the All Star break hit, and we could we didn't get the we couldn't reverse the karma. So I need the Jazz to come out. Uh, I need to hopefully steal Thursday's show, uh, and then you know Friday have the Jazz thump the Rockets, and I'll be all set moving forward. Uh, so that that's my plan. Um, you know, happy to get back to some basketball. I just want to see them start winning again. It's, it was kind of rough having them lose those games going into the All Star break, and then having to just kind of dwell on it. Speaking of verses, let's go ahead and like sweep into Magic River. But there's also a small chance that uh, something happens in like the next few months, and I might actually be up in your neck of the woods for like a week or two, like doing some stuff. And if that happens, I may have to swing by and see if I can't step in for a game or two on versus do something fun. I know it's not, you know, super simple like it would have been, you know, years ago, but I'll at least come by and hang out. You know what I mean? It's mainly COVID that is our issue. So yeah, of course, that's get yourself yeah, a yeah. vaccine first and then maybe we can talk. And that's the problem. I am very low on the list. Of, yeah. So of am people I here. So, um, I'm, I mean, we're trying to make it happen. Uh, hopefully we talked about this like, last week. They're, they're ramping up, you know, hopefully by June or whatever, but that's not anywhere near soon. So, yeah, I'm expecting to get my vaccine in a couple months or in the next couple months. You know, maybe I get lucky. 
I need to maybe be like a little more proactive. You know, I've, I've been Googling about it and like looking at some stuff, but maybe I just need to be like actively proactive about it. And maybe I can make some stuff happen with that. So I don't know, but all right, let's throw this back to a few months ago when we were the pioneer podcast. You know, I used to say it just like the pioneer podcast. And uh, I know that you've been a big, big fan of this format and what it's changed into since the bannings from a few weeks ago. I know that um, I actually watched your your co-host Corey stream quite a bit over the last week or two, and he's been playing a ton of the format. Yeah, he is also very hyped for for some pioneer. It helps that he found a really good Yorian deck, but which I mean, he's a uh, let's put it this way: Corey has a type in Magic right now. Yeah, in like the last couple of years, and if that deck's good, a he's going to do well, and b he's going to play it a lot. Which hey, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Like you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not hating on that because yeah. I do oh. a very similar type thing. Dude, I but, I built my entire career playing the same decks week in and week out on the SCG tour. You know, it, it was it started with Blue White Delver and Maverick, and we moved on to like Mono Blue Devotion and Elves, and it would just be literally same 150 week in week out. I know it's it's hard for me to say this to you because you're like one of the most uh, numerically gifted players on the tour when it comes to results wise but i have literally eight top eights of the same deck eight yeah i i don't i think the most i can i can say with a single deck is three i have three with a couple different decks i mean i haven't played as many opens as you have obviously or yeah you know had the longevity but i have a dozen top eights eight of which are in legacy so (laughs) how many of them are non-team events uh, I've I've only played in one Legacy Open, so <laughs> okay. I'm 0 for one. So you have but eight I, I team top open top eights, all yeah. playing the Legacy seat with the same deck. Yeah, I top sixteen that open. Just saying. Close. That's that's kind of like top eighting a team event. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, all my all my individual top eights are I have like two modern, two standard. I think. Yeah, like two with Tron, the one with mono blue and standard. Yeah, and then my very first one, which was the green red devotion deck, like years. Oh, okay, ago. okay. I have when I have I one with had, that deck. When I when I had just like the best deck, and like it was one of the tournaments. You know, we joke about this where you feel like you're you're just actually miles ahead of the competition. I actually felt like I was playing a different format in almost every yeah. round of Magic that I played. So yeah, I think I've had that feeling twice. It's a good feeling in a tournament too. Yeah, like, you just know. Like it's funny. I had not even top eighted an SCG at this point. In fact, it was like there was a there was a joke about it that like you know, am I the was I the best player that hadn't had a top eight? You know, you know, like there was a list of a few guys or whatever. Blah blah blah. I couldn't get the monkey off my back. But also, this was the first two-day one. You know, it's like they had just just changed from the one-day Oh, this was in Columbus, format. the one that yes. Joe Lissette won with Just Guy Heroic? No, it's the first one that I played. Which okay, for your first one. Yeah, it was, Not it was the my first, first one. one. And obviously, I just like got the monkey off the back. And then I, my results on the two-day ones were pretty damn good for a while. I had the highest yeah. top eight percentage for like a solid year. And year you're and still half, up there. there. There's a handful of people that are above 30% and you're one of them. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I think I was like 35% for a solid year. I was like 33 You got a little lucky in that regard with all the tournaments shutting down because I think yeah. Corey has like seven shots at top eight against next one to overtake everyone because he's oh, yeah, right yeah. now he's like five of eight. Uh, yeah. or four, or like four, never, no, four, four, four of seven. If, you, if he gets I've his next one, he'll be five of best. eight. Yeah, yeah. Not, that's not me saying I'm better than all these people. I'm saying statistically, I had I had something to point at and be like, yeah, I'm number one. You know, it was cool when they um, Nick Miller would post the 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 graph on Twitter of like you know opens played, top eights wins, and mine always has the zero next to the wins thing, obviously. But then you look at the next stat, and it's you know percentage of events top aided, and my, mine would be that I would go from like you know the lowest to the highest. So it's like, well, at least I'm consistent. You know, like you know if I if I'm gonna always get second place, I might as well just you know, do it as, as often as possible. Yeah. Mine always sat in the lo- like low twenties where, you know, yeah, pr- pretty good. You've played. 
But it, it would always, you know, it would creep down and creep down to 20. Sometimes it would go like a little bit below 20, and then I'd get a top eight, be back near 25, and then it would creep down a little bit, keep creeping down, like get a you top eight, up, back up to 25. You shot a little bit during that one season where you played with me and Brennan a lot because we put up like, what, like three or four top eights for you? Even then, that, that was over like a, a six-month span. Like I've... I've oh, yeah. I, I played less events than you did at the time, so yeah, me, exactly. I felt like we, you know, I forget. You yeah, we, every we top eighted all, like it was like four or five team events that we played. We top eighted, but I had a bunch of individuals in the meantime that uh, you know that, that I was playing. You you were playing probably half the individual events I was. One of my favorite things you've ever talked about that is like I remember when you um, when we decided we were going to start playing together in team events, and this is a conversation that we had later. This is not a conversation Ross and I had like right when it happened, but later, you know, we were like reminiscing one night, having some drinks or something. And Ross was like, yeah, I'm like really excited about this. Nothing, you know, bad about his prior teams, but you were like excited about being on a team where like there was a winning pedigree already. You were like the, you were like the free agent pickup kind of thing. You know, you got to come into like a, like a winning situation. Yeah. I was the Kevin Durant joining the 73 and nine warriors, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you get to have that kind of feel like you're the, you're the big gun that gets hired to come in. And then we lost our first round playing together, and you were like, and you and you had lost your match, and you were like, oh no, am I going to be the the crutch that makes this team stop winning? Because you know we had we had the joke that Brendan and I just could not lose when we were playing together. We were top eight with like random, you know, we could pick up Joe Schmo off the side of the board, you know, side of the street. And and I'd played sort of a rogue deck. I was playing Blue Moon, and I lost round one to to Eldrazi Tron, which was a ba- very bad matchup. Uh, but just not when I expected to be popular. And I'm just like worried that like, oh god, it's modern. Like you never know. We don't have buys in team events. Uh, I, I, I won the next eight worried. rounds, by the, or no, I, I I lost one more. I seven two that day, uh, yeah. but we we did not lose another round, mainly because we Tannen did not lose, did not lose that entire day. He was yeah. nine and zero, on, nine and zero on the day, and started like twelve and zero before he took it. We were we were locked for top eight before Tannen took an a individual match loss. Yeah, I I finally lost the mono red prison where they just like blood mooned me on one both games. You know, just like one of the draws. Yeah, 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 I'm just fucking dead. But it just <laughs> like, literally didn't matter. I, I think we literally ID'd the next round, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. even after the loss. We were that yeah, we, we were playing for seeding. Yeah, we did lap the like what you saw a lot happen in the in team events. You know, you saw like the team Bayou boys do this a lot, where like they would just be like a full round ahead of everybody. Like you start to lap the field because when the when it gets small on day two, weird stuff starts happening with pairings. You know, because, like, the best teams are going to play each other and you can't play again. So, like, you can't always play someone with the same record as you. So, sometimes you you beat the second or third place team and it puts them down a full another round behind you and stuff. So, some crazy stuff happens there. But let's talk about the crazy stuff that's going on in Pioneer. We should have been doing this a while ago. But I gotta say this. I haven't played the format a bunch since since the changes, obviously. Like, I don't have Magic Online on my computer right now. I have been watching it quite a bit. If paper was a thing right now, I'd be playing the hell out of Pioneer because... I. I'm just gonna say this one thing about the format. It looks wide open and sweet. Yeah. No, that and that's your you know, that is the format right now. And honestly, like it, it's hard for me it's hard for me to imagine a better format. It really is. Like there is so much diversity. Like maybe if you were a hardcore controlled player, that maybe there's not as much variety for you, but there's kind of two control decks. Like you can play Azorius, you can play Demir. I don't think Azorius is very good. You can try to play it. But, you know, so hardcore control may be the only thing that's a little lacking. Uh, you know, if you're a hardcore combo player, it might be a little lacking for you. Like the, the Lotus Field deck is still good. So you've got a combo deck if you're that, you know, dedicated, if you're the Matt Nass. Um, so you can still play it, but you don't have a ton of options as, as a combo player. But if you're, you know, aggro, mid-range, anything in, in that, which is where I think the bulk of players lie... You know, you have a ton of options for what you want to do. It's not like there's only one good aggro deck. 
Uh, and we're just going to sort of go through and, you know, reintroduce everybody to the Pioneer format and show how really diverse and cool it is, starting with the showcase challenge, which is the, you know, premier event of the of the form of most formats on Magic Online, I guess, uh, at least premier event of the season. Uh, won by Ozymandias, who is a noted grinder. Big, big-time grinder on MTGOs. This is a guy that comp- every tournament that he competes in, he's a threat to win. Yeah. And, uh, you know, playing Orzov Auras, a deck everybody, you know, who's played Pioneer should be familiar with. It ebbs and flows. Uh, this was a really good weekend for Orzov Auras. I think it's, you know, more of a linear aggro deck than most, and because it hadn't been super popular in the last month or so, uh, not a ton of hate for it around. Uh, and people just not prepared for it. So this was a great weekend to bring your Orzov Auras to the table. Uh, pretty straightforward list. But the biggest thing that this says to me is that, you know, we talked about the different variants of Auras. There, there's Orzov, there's Selesnya, there's Azorius. And when we uh, were going and previewing Call Time, we, we talked about how the Pathways could potentially unlock, you know, Azorius Auras because they got Hengegate Pathway. Last, uh, you know, a couple months ago, we got the Selesnya Pathway um, which is something loft. Boulder loft is the white side, but uh, branch loft. Um, I just say the colors, man. I can't remember the names. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I if it weren't for verses, I would not know the names either. I was about so, to say that too. Yeah, it's definitely verses. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, to me that that th- this was a big test. Like, are the other var- the friendly colored variants of auras being held back by their mana base, or are they just worse? And it looks to me like the answer is pretty clear. Ors of auras is just a better deck. And it's mainly because black just gives you better sideboard cards. Only black card in the main here is, is Hateful Eidolon. And I've seen various points over the last year where this card was not in Orzov Aura's deck lists. I think it's more impo- it's important in more aggro-oriented metagames, uh, which looks a little weird because the sexy part of the card is that, you know, when a creature dies, you draw a card for each aura attached yeah, to it. Which is having another lifelinker. Yeah, it's really having, really an, having another lifelinker is, is really important. You know, this deck just having a higher density of enchantments for its ethereal armors and all that glitters because of the enchantment creatures. Uh, Hateful Eidolon also helps there. Um, But really, it's about these sideboard cards. It's about getting Thoughtseize against combo and control decks. It's about getting, you know, dead weight against aggro decks when you're playing with Lyris and you have this removal spell that plays so well with Lyris. That's one of my favorite interactions with Lyris is just dead weight because, like... Getting to cast that again out of your... Getting cast a removal spell of Lurus out of your oh, chamber yeah, is a real so good. sweet one. You know, I think it's one thing that that a lot of newer players, it takes a while to really um, learn uh, because you're taught just a, this generic mantra that card advantage is good. But properly leveraging card advantage generally involves eventually interacting with your opponent because the, the, the way to be maximally advantaged, like, it, you know... Uh, let me say it this way. Card advantage has to be measured in relation to your opponent, right? And so, you know, being up three cards, yeah, that's good. But if you're plus six and your opponent's plus three, that's a smaller advantage than your plus three and their plus zero. You know, yeah. so so the best thing you can do once you're ahead on card advantage is trade one for one. Because eventually your opponent's going to be left with nothing and you're going to be left with something. Now, you know, that's not always 100% true. Like, sometimes there's relative values of the card. Sometimes your card advantage depends on different synergies. So contextually, that can change. But in general, if you're a deck that's generating a lot of card advantage, you should generally look to interact with your opponent. And Luris, you know, fundamentally is a a card advantage card. 
so you do want to pair it at least in some way with ways to interact with your opponent and dead weight is a way to do that and and you see it you know just shining through here uh, i think you know at this point i would not be bothering with any auras list that is not Orzov. yeah i gotta agree with you here too like mostly because of the the things you talked about like just the higher enchantment count really does it for me the extra lifelink the, the cyborg cards are big like i mean thought i think is quite possibly the best card in the format since it's, it's like over the full span of uh pioneer since since it's been in, uh, yeah i interacted. agree and i think this is the best all that glitters ethereal armor deck like i think this one finishes the game the quickest and the fact that i think it has this, i'd have to go physically count but it feels like to me it has the highest enchantment uh, rate yeah. out of all the decks since you get the extra enchantment creature kind of thing here and it casts Luris the best obviously which like I don't think that's ever really a problem like you'll have double white pretty much always but the fact that every land in this in this deck casts Luris is pretty big yeah and you know, yeah so at this point you know if you're an Auras player stop mucking around or messing around with you know uh, staggering insight and whatever the green enchantment that drew people to play the Selesnya deck keen sense i think is no the... no that's that's the that's the the curiosity there's i'm talking about the two mana one that like you know you draw cards when you target and stuff and you oh, scry yeah, yeah, when yeah. your creatures enter yeah uh, the weird the weird card i can't believe i just uh, that's the I kind of card that i read and it was like who designs this like how, how do you think of it it's a bunch of like ints on a, yeah like these tree folk people not, not that the card is bad i'm not complaining about it it's just like my mind would never be able to produce that card if, if i was you know if i was tasked with designing a card you know, even if I was given some, like some semblance, like yeah, how about we have a card, an enchantment that like lets you scry when creature, creatures enter the battlefield, but draw cards when you target them. Just a, a very, very strange card. Yeah, yeah, definitely like one of the ones I remember. I had to read it like four times to make sure I got it correctly. Yeah, you know, you get, you get those new wrinkles to it almost every every time. Second place here, another noted MTGO oh, grinder. In this is a hell of a finals, by the way. Yeah, Stanerson Ozymandias is uh, is quite the finals. This is Tommy Ashton. Probably has won like a fifteen to twenty Moto PTQs in his he life. Might be the most decorated Moto player of all time. It's it's very possible. If, if you count PTQs, yeah. Uh, uh, although you got like it, Logan Nettles has played like he's so many mocks events. So he's, it, it he's sort of depends on how you how you rank those kinds of accomplishments. If there was an MTGO Hall of Fame, Stanerson is first ballot. Yeah, let's put it that way. Okay. And playing a uh, another sort of an archetype that's been around. But with a couple new twists here that have really reinvigorated it, this is Nia Winota, um, a deck that you know I like quite a bit, in part because it's using Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves really well. You know, we we saw those two like those two form the basis of so many decks early on in Pioneer, and slowly as the green cards all got banned, uh, you know, we, we saw it less and less. And now it's mainly just the mono green uh, you know Devotion Planeswalker deck that Aspiring Spike pioneered that you see using them. Um, and, and th this deck does it quite well even with the, th the three color mana base the pathways are a big part of it you see six pathways in the mana base really helping out here both in letting you cut down on lands that deal you damage there's only one confluence only 10 shock lands instead of the full 12 uh, and also just you know, giving you access to turn one green mana they're another kind of land that does that um, and, and fixing your mana for, for the other things there's not a lot of super color-intensive cards. The only double-colored uh, card in the main deck is are two of them: Kazandu Mammoth, which can also be a land, and Eldritch Evolution. Um, so I like the way that, like, the way this build pushes you into that sort of gruel splash white for Winota and Voice Mana Base makes it a lot more workable. Mm -hmm. And then you have Azika's Chariot, 
a card that we're starting to see get its due. I, we talked about this a lot on Versus Live. It was just a card that kept impressing just a high-rate magic card. You're getting four power for four mana plus the really powerful vehicle. You know, unanswered, it can take over a game. It can play offense and defense. It can play defense in multi- It can play do those things and do them in multiple different ways. You know, if you want to go wide, it can help you do that. We see people blinking it with Yorian. If you want to go tall, you know, you can make the 4-4. Four four. So, if, you know, Azika's Chariot is going to be good if my opponent has two three threes. It's going to be good if my opponent has four one ones. Uh, and I'm trying to play defense and s- similarly on offense. So really awesome card here. Obviously, just making multiple bodies for Wynota is awesome. It's also really cool to be able to go like Chariot, next turn Wynota, crew Chariot with Wynota, yeah. attack with, all th- with three creatures, trigger Wynota three times, and get a cat token. Uh, the synergy there is, is just unreal. So it's it's both a you know individually powerful card, but also one that has incredible synergy with the deck. So perfect home. Yeah, for me, I think the big thing here that really you know puts this deck forward is the new cards, and it's the ones that you you highlighted mostly of Chariot, but you know you, you kind of talked about with Pathways, and I've been on record saying that I think the Pathways are some of the best lands they've printed pr- practically ever. I think they're some of the best dual lands ever because I'm gonna, I'm going to kind of piggyback a thing that you said here, you know. You talk about how important Elvish Mystic and uh, what's what's the other one called? Llanowar Elves. Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves. How how in how is Llanowar Elves the one you forget of the two Tannen? Because I, I was trying to remember which you call yourself a boomer and which, and which which aren't. Come on, I'm, I'm old man. Give me give me a thing. Call yourself a boomer and you remember Elvish Mystic and not Llanowar Elves. That is just anyway. straight Zoomer energy right there. Anyway, um, so you have these two cards that are super important in the deck, right? Like all the best draws involve turn one Llanowar Elf or. Elvish Mystic. So you need green mana for that. But then all of your important cards after that cost either double green or red-white in Wynota. Like, is the most important card, right? Either you, need, you either need uh, Eldritch Evolution to get it, or you need red-white mana to cast it. So now you've got more lands in the deck that cast turn one land elves, but also, depending on when you draw them, when you play them, help you cast Wynota as soon as possible. So it makes the mana base a lot better, and like you said, less painful, so it's not susceptible to getting burned out quickly by the burn decks or beat down quickly by the other decks. So those are very important. Chariot, like you said, I think this card's amazing. We talked about it when we saw the previous card, and I was like, I felt like this card was like borderline, and I just was underselling it, because I was like, this card... Because you know when you look at a rare, and you're like, oh, it doesn't like... It, this doesn't scream play me in, a, in every deck, and then the more and more we play it, we just see how valuable and how good this deck is. Also, like... Let's not forget the the small synergy between it and Voice of Resurgence. Getting the copy any token and getting the copy of Voice of Resurgence token is nice yeah. as well. And that's not this deck also is generating those Thopter tokens with the PNLR and Thopter Engineer. You know, I, I actually like that both for generating, you know, it's multiple bodies um for why well, it's one body for Wynota, but multiple bodies just as an aggro deck that's trying to play through removal. And they're both odd versus the even tokens, so you play into Extinction Event reasonably. But also just generating flyers is a good way to finish the game off. This is not a deck that has any reach outside of Stomp, so the flyers are important. You can make more with the Zika's Chariot and set yourself up to be able to, you know, crawl over the finish line. Yeah, and you mentioned playing against, you know, sweepers, which is always something you're super worried about in a deck that is literally 33 creatures in the list. So, like, if you cast Supreme Verdict or something against this deck... That might be game in a lot of spots. Ezekiel Chariot is another card that helps you kind of stave that off in the fact that, yeah, you're going to lose your tokens, but if you have any creature behind this, especially one that can crew Ezekiel Chariot, at least you're still attacking your opponent's life total the next turn, which is generally what you're going to be doing. And, like, you can even look at the sideboard and see that they they have some idea of, like, 
that is something they want to have in mind because they have four, uh, three showdown of the scalds in the sideboard, which is something that like I hadn't really come up with. But thinking about it, like this plays double duty in a lot of spots, right? Like the first end of it, it's a pretty good card to you know if if you're playing in a matchup where they're killing your stuff, not necessarily sweeping you, but killing your stuff. This is a really good card to play because it's going to refill your grip. You're going to be it's going to help you find your combo pieces a little bit more. It's going to help. Uh, it's going to help you from getting one for one or two for one out of the game, right? And then there's some matchups where, you know, I can think about this like where it's another creature matchup where you're going to be trying to, if you're trying to play fair, the fact that you play this and then you start growing your your team over and over for two turns, like, I, I don't know how someone beats that because, I mean, look at the diversity in the creatures here. And then once they, because you go wide so well that once you start going tall, I don't know how people keep up with you anymore at that point. Yeah, no, I think Showdown of the Skull is another great recent addition. You also see Archon of Emeria, recent printing, and Masked Vandal. So a lot of gains for this deck over the last six months, over the last two sets, um, and really reinvigorated the archetype. And now it's at a point where I think this deck is a force to be reckoned with. You know, uh, it's at the point where its power level is high enough that I don't think it's dependent on Winota. There's so much inherent card advantage between Bonecrusher Giant, Azekas Chariot, Voice of Resurgence, PNLR, Thopter Engineer, all of these two-for-one creatures. There's individual power level. You're sideboarding some good interaction, you know, just enough to keep up with some of the aggro decks. This one-off Lantern Scout in the sideboard is genius so that you can, like, find it off of Wynota and just gain a bunch of life to win the race. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of, like, one-of in a sideboard that people don't think about. Uh, you know, you can even you can also Eldritch Evolution for it, so you have multiple ways to find the one of out of your deck um, that can really, really help you out in like the Boros Wizards matchup or something like that. Um, so, well built version of an underrated deck. If Winota was your thing in Standard recently, and you want to relive the glory now that you know it's not really a thing in Standard, did, did it even rotate? I don't even know what set this card's from. It's from Ikoria, so it's still legal. Um, yeah, uh, but just not seeing play right now. You're like this, they got rid of all the payoffs. Yeah, yeah. There's not really payoffs for it, so that they rotated. Uh, but th this or is definitely banned. this. This is one of my like decks to watch. Like, how how good is this deck? Um, you know, it's emerged in recent weeks. It's now put up a really big finish in a big event. I think the deck look. It just looks so good on paper to me. I haven't played much with it. Uh, I think we did play it on versus. Uh, Corey actually played it. I won the match. Yeah, I um, watching him play it, yeah. Yeah, uh, but he never drew Chariot. He, he never really took advantage of the those new cards. Uh, so obviously, like, in one match of, of a sample size, we didn't really get to see the full power of it. But it, it just looks it just looks awesome to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a big fan. If I were going to play a creature-based deck in this format, this is one of the ones I'd definitely check out. Um, I kind of want to move over to the third place just to make sure that we can, you know, find enough time. This is, this is all Bolt the Bird, another different deck. But this is one of this one's kind of an oldie but a goodie in this format, and this is, you know, I feel like they've banned all the combo decks in the format besides this one. This is like one of the only ones that's like that adheres a traditional combo feel. You know, it's like spells and stuff. Like we're not we're not and, using Wynota and they as did combo. ban um, you know Underworld Breach, right? So this deck took a hit from that. It has had to retool to some degree. You see it function much more as a ramp deck now with these Wolf Willow Havens. Uh, Balagad Recovery to artificially increase the land count and give you a little bit, uh, you know, more card selection against Thoughtseize, which is so popular. We're back up in numbers and dig through time. This list only has three. You often see four. Um, uh, we're speaking about a Lotus Field deck here. Yeah, right? yeah. This is Lotus say. Field combo. And now, you know, the the real key here is this Peer into the Abyss um, that just, you know, 
you know, draws a bunch of cards and, you know, you're kind of ramping and, um, you know, uh, eventually getting access to you know, your sideboard with Mastermind's Acquisition and, and Fae of Wishes. Um, but it's, you know, it's much more of sort of a r- ramp combo hybrid than it was a straight combo deck in the past. Uh, still effective, uh, but a little little bit of retooling needed there. Absolutely. Not really my speed, but this is one of the decks that I would need to get play test against if I were going to play the format a lot, because I think it's really important when you're playing this deck, if you're playing a deck that has thought season in it, which generally I'm going to be playing a deck with thought season, I need to know what card to take, because this deck is really random and has a bunch of random cards, and there's definitely going to be hands where I thought sees them, and if you know we're playing a team, it's going to be like, Ross, 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 what do I, what do I take? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I need an adult. If, if, this, if that's the kind of decision that you're struggling with playing against this deck, I will tell you... You kind of have to you have to ask yourself a couple key, key questions. One, you know, if you're thinking about taking the Fave Wishers or Mastermind's Acquisition or whatever the, the the Wish card, it's you know how much uh, card selection do they have to quickly replace it? Um, because I'm I'm generally more of a fan of you know attacking their engine. You know, if I'm thought seizing them on turn one, I'm almost always taking Sylvan Scrying if they don't have the Lotus Field uh, just to keep them off that mana as long as possible. Once, you know, they, if they have that locked up, if they have the Lotus Field in their hand, I'll usually look to, you know, how can I restrict their mana if, if I can reasonably do so. If they have too many things that give them extra mana, then you just let them have all the mana and you take the threats. If they, you think you can reasonably restrict their mana, I go for that first. So that's sort of the hierarchy is like, you know, number one, how can I restrict their mana? Number, with failing that, how can I, you know, stop them from doing powerful things with their mana? So if you ask yourself those two questions in that order, you'll usually end up in a good place. Uh, fourth place deck, another deck that's kind of been having a holdover quite a bit here in the format. And I think for a long time and just arguable is like the best deck in Pioneer or quote unquote, like the deck that you want to have your litmus test against. You know, this is and this is the uh, Niv-Mizzet Reborn mid-range decks, right? You know, these decks are just infinite colors, a whole bunch of spells doing all kinds of crazy things. And I got to say this, this deck's kind of my style, right? You know, it's just a whole bunch of good cards and you, you figure it out as the game goes on. And I kind of like this thing, but we got a couple of new things here or there. You see the one of change from here or there, but the, the core of the deck usually remains with like all the mana, Sylvan Karyatid, Niv-Mizzet Reborn, you know, Omnath still being legal and Bring to Light. This is the big important card for this deck. Yeah, and now now Valky is sort of in that core as well because of its synergy with Bring to Light. Um, yeah, and then it's, you know, which removal spells do I want to play? Which tutor targets do I want to play? Uh, and then how do I build my mana base? All really difficult things. Um, I think the mana base part has gotten a lot easier post-Triomes. Um, but this is a deck that, be, because of the you know power of Valky, especially with Bring to Light, has been re-energized. This, to me, is, is the best mid-range deck in the format. It's been doing really well recently. The list we see here in third place is a little bit different than most from J65536D. Um, a little bit more creature heavy with this one Nisha of Nissa of Shadowed Bows um, is an interesting one to me because it's a to me Nissa has always played out more like an aggressive card, um, but here really trying to take advantage of it being able to rebuy for a second round some of these really powerful creatures you know if you hostage shaker and they kill it you can get it back same with deputy detention same with omnath uh you know even valky could be a a pretty good one to recur so i think that's the idea that's going on here 
a little bit more of a, a creature heavy list. I think this Fayborough Elder is kind of cute. The weird thing to me is like this strikes me as not something I ever really want to bring to light for. It strikes me as something that like I'm either playing it to draw it and cast it on turn three and do really like you know I imagine doing things like turn two Sylvan Carry added turn three Fabor Elder play another tap land next turn I go up to land four I tap those and the the carry added play my Niv Mizzet and now my Fabor Elder taps are five and I'm like you know casting uh, bring delight for five and finding whatever I want or casting two spells off of that five mana that I've found off of the Niv Mizzet. So a little bit of an awkward one for me uh, in this package, but the card I really like as a one of is the Binding of the Old Gods. You know, great flexible removal spell to find off of Bring Delight. This deck certainly appreciates any extra mana, and just another you know call time card making some waves in an older format. Definitely seems like one of the the standout uh, you know uncommons from the set. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, fifth place deck, a- another big holdover, just mono black aggro. Nothing really too crazy to talk about here, besides the fact that there's a Null Priest of Oblivion in here. I've seen some people talk about that card, maybe making a thing because it's like a decent attacker early, and then it's a, it's a decent top deck late as a card advantage type thing. But the thing that says to me here is, what lands are they playing in mono black? And in this version, we see the the very classic mana base of one Urborg, 15 Swamp, four Mutavault, four Castle. And I've seen a lot of people, especially like in Historic and talking about this in Pioneer, where um, cutting down on castles up on snow-covered lands and playing some faceless havens just to make your deck a little more resilient to these to these decks that are trying to sweep you and killing them that way. Just giving you more lands that do things. Because- yeah, we, we've seen that more in the mono-black aggro deck as opposed to mono-black vampires, that snow mana base, but still classic here. I think uh, Gifted Aetherborn is a big motivating factor to keep the castles in, so you just have enough black mana to consistently cast it on turn two. So that stress on the man base might be enough to keep you away from castle, even if you would otherwise prefer to play Faceless Haven. Yeah, that makes sense to me, is the fact that like you, you're, it makes your mana base worse, for sure. Yeah. The one the one benefit this deck has gotten recently, you see in the sideboard here, I've actually seen it in the main deck in some lists, is those two copies of Crippling Fear. Yeah, really great anti-aggro card for a tribal. You know, this deck is kind of aggressive, but it's main, it's mainly a mid-range deck. It generates a lot of card advantage with Champion of Dusk. You know, has the power of Kalidus and Soren, but can still pressure uh, other decks reasonably well. Uh, just not as well as Mono Black Aggro. Uh, but w- with a lot of aggro decks around, as you you often see in Pioneer, that's when you see this deck pop up. And the the meta game is is pretty aggro focused. I don't really like playing this deck against like Niv Mizzet. I think you're two both decks are doing similar things, but they're just doing it better. You're yeah, just they a little over the top of you too often. Yeah. yeah, you you you're better at just keeping up with the aggro decks and making sure you, you don't lose to them. Uh, so you're a little bit smaller of a mid range deck, but definitely, or you know, if this is your your bag right now, is a solid time to be playing it. I just don't. Th- I think this is going to be you know we're going to see it for another week or two, then it's going to drop out, then it'll come back in a couple months. It's all it's a very meta game dependent deck. So if there people are playing a good good amount of aggro decks, that's when I want to be vamping. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move over to the 7th place list. This is a pretty cool list that takes advantage of uh, some interactions with some new cards that we've kind of highlighted here. And this is, I want to call this like Jeskai Luka without Luka. Like it doesn't actually have Luka in the deck. It just plays Transmognify. Also, instead. it's four colors. Yeah, I mean, I, I say Jeskai because it's like the typical Jeskai things. So I was going to get into the fact that it has a green card in it. Um, so it is splashing for a green card. We're talking about this. this is, you know, the typical Fires of Invention, um, 
you know, uh, Agent of Treachery, try to get that into play as quickly as possible. Transmogify, you can do it on turn four if you, if you have the, the really good draws here. But there's a couple of new cards that have jumped in here to, like, kind of reinvigorate, reinvigorate this, uh, this archetype and give it some really cool non-creature card creatures for the deck. So Transmogify always hits Agent of Treachery with, I mean, you saw this one coming, Ezekiel's Chariot in green. And then a really cool one in blue-white in The Raven's Warning. This is a saga from the new set that the first chapter of it makes a 1-1 blue bird token and you gain two life. Um, really cool card. Um, does really cool stuff with Yorion if you're going to be blinking in any way. If, you know, this is not a Yorion deck, but there are multiple of them in the sideboard. Uh, I mean, it is a Yorion deck, but like, you know, there's multiple of them in the sideboard and stuff like that. So you can you can kind of like have that as your play. It's, you do get game one access to your sideboard along with the Raven's Warning because the third end does that. But it's just another cool permanent that you can put in play that you get some value off of. Helps to transmogify. And it's just a card that your opponent has to worry about. So it's just like another wrinkle to all the layers of this deck. Yeah, you know, I think the, the biggest issue with this deck is trying to make sure it covers its bases. You know, do I have enough cheap interaction to manage the aggressive matchups without being too vulnerable to the non-creature matchups? Because if you have too many of those blank cards, then, you know, one counter spell or two is going to destroy everything. You're going to be left with three dead cards in your hand. And that's always been the the, the tough part, the tough, you know, um, challenge for building these decks. And both of the cards that you mentioned, both those new additions really help you there. You know, the Raven's Warning can be you know, an early blocker. It'll block those, you know, one mana, two ones that every aggro deck seems to play, gain a little bit of life, you know, and that's all you really want it to do. If they ha if you can afford to, you know, take the damage and not block, then maybe Transmogrify it for, that's fine as well. But, and then against the, you know, controlling decks, it's a cheap threat that threatens to, you know, just be a 1-1, one -one, draw an extra card with, um, you know, the, what's it, the second chapter? Yeah, the yeah. second chapter is if, the, if you're a flying creature deals damage, you draw a yeah. card. Yeah. And, and then, you know, set up, you know, whatever awesome card from your sideboard that you really want, right? Um, you know, you, you can do all those things. Azika's Chariot, I think, is the bigger gain here and certainly a reason to splash a fourth color, which is easy enough when you're 80 cards and you have all these triumphs. But this card just... I mean, we pl I played Model Black Agar against this deck today on Versus, and it, Azika's Chariot was a nightmare. Yeah, and... It's pretty cool, too. Like, the Raven's Warning just kind of replaces the White Omen, which is just not in the deck anymore. And it's a very good, um, almost like apples to oranges type, type type thing. It's like, it does the same thing almost in the first chapter, right? It's a sorcery versus a, a flashcard. You gain two life. You get one flyer instead of two ground creatures. But the second and third chapter might actually be worth it in the fact that they're more flexible in more games. Because when you look at the sideboard, it's got some really cool cards in get. If you're playing against aggro, it's got an Anger of the Gods and a Fumigate, right? If it's a little later in the game, you've got you've got uh, Resolute Archangel to just gain a million life against an aggro deck, right? And then against uh, combo, I mean, uh, control decks, you have like Chandra, Awakened Inferno, right? You know, you have Dream yeah. Trawler. Karn's Temporal Sundering is in this sideboard as well, too, to kind of like, you can just go get a Time Walk and bounce a permanent and kind of kill your opponent from there. Because there are a lot of Planeswalkers in this deck, too, that you want to be using. Also, you have, you know, you have access to some really good hate cards in the sideboard as well, if Rest in Peace and Yasharn. Yeah, really good against Rakdos Arcanist and uh, uh, John Sacrifice in particular. So really nice to have those haymakers. There's also a wear and tear in the sideboard too. So if your opponent has like a cage or something in play, like one of the things that's going to slow your deck down, like one of the hate pieces, well, you've got something here to kind of answer that as well, that you can get, you can get out the sideboard pretty easily with a Raven's Warning. So to me, this is a very well put together wish sideboard. Every single target has a lot of value. 
um, and it makes a lot of sense. I'm always a little bit wary of having wish sideboards in decks like this because you want to do quite a bit of sideboarding in your Yorian decks. I know Corey has his own particular list of this that doesn't play the Raven's Warning. He's still playing Owen of the Sun, still splashing, splashing Ezekiel's Chariot, but it just gives him—he just values access to his sideboard so much um, that he, he's playing it. I agree with you that you know the Raven's Warning is a better game one card than Omen of the Sun. I'm just not sold that it's worth giving up those sideboard slots um, because that's always been a problem with, with these Yorian decks. Like you know, you see the four Dovin's Vetoes as the non-wish targets. You know, I see two Anger of the Gods and four Chain to the Rocks that I desperately want to get out of my deck in control matchups. So I really want six more cards. If I'm playing against aggro, like I want to get some Narset Parter Avails out of my deck. You don't really have the capability to do that with the way this list is set up. Um, but there is quite a lot of value in the Raven's Warning. So, you know, I, I couldn't fault you going either way. I think I would side with, you know, getting access to my sideboard in an 80 card deck. Um I don't know. I, I, I kind of disagree a little bit, right? Like, you don't have to make drastic sweeping changes, but I understand, like, you know, I don't want four Chain of the Rocks in my deck against Droll. In fact, I probably want zero, right? Well, you have four Dovin's Veto in the sideboard that you can go immediately change those four out. And then, you know, if you have, like, a control a card for anti-control in the main, you want those, like, kind of taken out for, for the other decks. Like, yeah, you're going to have a few dead cards, right? That That's just that's just the way it is. It, it's going to happen in an 80-card deck. You just can't the way it, it is. Yeah, Things but against these other the decks, same. if you have a couple cards that are bad, then, like, you can bring in a couple of your tutor targets as, like, here's the thing. I'll go down on tutor targets in my sideboard a little bit, just so I don't have an actual factual dead card in my deck when yeah, I draw that, it. That is a good point. You can do that. You know, you can put the second Yorian in your main deck, and you say, like, I don't need to wish for this. You know, I would put, like, a, yeah, I think it's reasonable to just put, like, Dream Trawler, you know, in, in, in your deck. Um, well, you don't want to put Yasharn because you don't you don't want to hit it off of a Transmogrify. Unless you unless you want to hit it off Transmogrify. Yeah. Uh, but you, um, so maybe you put like the Chandra in and make sure it's to make sure you hit Agent. I don't, like, yeah, there are, there are a couple things you can do. I, I'll, I'll buy that. I'm I'm still into getting my sideboard. Um, oh, I, I agree with you on like wanting the sideboard thing. I'm just saying like there, you know, there's definitely some stuff you I, can do here. Yeah. I, I just want to really emphasize how good Azika's Chariot is in this deck. Like being able to play defense and play offense. I remember I was talking with Corey a bit, you know, we always talk during breaks and stuff and before the show. And he, you know, obviously was also really high on it and just said now like, when, you know, decks, when control decks and stuff bring in things like Grafdigger's Cage, you know, hate cards for the transmogrify part of the deck. You know, before that, that those were problems. Like I needed answers to that because my deck was really dependent on on that engine. Now, so much less so. You can just be a value Yorian deck way more often, and so you know you just don't really need to worry about that stuff as much. And that's a really good place to be. Anytime your deck is built around a specific synergy, and people are being are so scared of it that they're bringing in hate. If your deck is built in a, in a way that you can ignore the hate, you're in a good place. You know, it's the reason I put Crackling Drake into Is It Phoenix. And I, I spent a month before people caught on just watching them bring in Rest in Peace and Graveyard Hate all the time. And I'm just, yeah, Crackling Drake, you. Oh, sure, I don't have Arclight Phoenixes. That's fine. That's, that's a, like, absurdly good example because I still remember the first time you showed the deck to me and Brennan. And we were like, oh, this deck's cool. Like, it's, it's good. And I watched you play it for a few games. And I was like, oh, that, this deck is really good. It's not just cool. This deck is, like, actively broken or whatever. And then you were like showing me the list and you showed me the ones of crackling drake and i was like ross this isn't standard i think, I think it was like <laughs> yeah. literally my reaction is like ross this isn't standard and then i watched you play a few games like i watched the games play out where you just played a crackling drake and it was just crackling drake has it, it is cost four mana and it says suspend one kill your opponent yeah 
and also draw a card. Loses the game. <laughs> yeah, you draw a card, and then your opponent loses the game if if like they don't kill it. Obviously, so I don't know. My favorite was when people would play Rest in Peace. I'd play Crackling Drake. They would, you know, they would do their thing, not even like bat an eye at it. And I'd be like, okay, attack you for nine. And they're like, no, it's a zero four. I'm like, no, it's not. That's not how this works. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite uh, Crackling Drakes ever with that is uh, I think someone they miscounted how much damage your Crackling Drake. Like they were like, yeah, they're one. He's one off of like attacking me, having a spell plus a Phoenix to kill me. But they forgot that they had. It was like. It was some form of like fiend hunter type card or like tide tide hollow scholar. Yeah, yeah. They had like and they had exile one of your cards, and it's like you're like it counts this too. And, like, they hadn't counted like because they saw your. It was literally tide hollow scholar. My opponent was playing the Orzov Eldrazi and Taxis deck. Yeah, they just didn't count the card, and I like killed him exactly. It was it was it was beautiful. It was, it was nice yeah. getting the extra one in there. So that was pretty <laughs> cool. And speaking of nice, the the last deck here that made top eight of this showcase is a really really cool one that we haven't seen in a little while or i haven't seen much of a little while and this is a, another deck with a companion but not one that we see as much right and this is obosh this is just gruel obosh and so this is really cool this is what you would expect you know it's your typical like elvish mystic uh land where elves yeah i got it right that time <laughs> elvish mystic land where elves and then just love struck beast uh bone crusher giant uh, cure behemoth beckoner is in this deck and then just a bunch of really cool payoffs with you know we've seen this in the past with glory bringer right gruel spell breaker love struck beast but it's got a new five drop in this deck that's pretty good in this deck ross and that's Goldspan Dragon. And that's a pretty cool addition to this deck. Yeah, so now that you know they're playing Glorybringer and Goldspan Dragon. Eight five mana dragons in the main. Uh because of that, I love the addition of these two copies of Kiora Behemoth Beckoner. So you just have more ways to, you know, get to five mana on turn three. Because that's really what this deck is trying to do. Uh you don't have a ton of great synergies with Goldspan Dragon. Like you can, you can always stomp off of the treasure token. You know, you could play a cheap Crater's Claws. Uh, there's not any two drops in the deck because of Obosh. Um, so not the best Goldspan Dragon deck I've seen, but it's really just rounding out the list and making sure your draws are that much more consistent. Because when you think about this kind of Gruel Aggro deck, the games where they curve out, the deck looks awesome. And the But it's, it goes down so quickly from there. It's, it's a deck whose like 80th percentile hands are so much worse than every other deck's 80th percentile the hands. The is way lower in this deck than a lot yeah. of the other ones in the format. I definitely agree. Also, another co- cool selling point for this deck is you get to play Clothis main. And I think this is a card that... I, I remember when it came out, some people, there was a little buzz and that it didn't do a ton in Standard. It, you know, in its day, it, it's been around for a while. It hasn't really had huge impacts. But this is a card that's starting to be pretty impactful in Legacy and was really finding its way in Legacy, and you're starting to see it a lot in Modern, and I think you're going to see it a decent bit in Pioneer as well, because this is a, this is a card that does a very good uh, Deathrite Shaman impersonation as a game goes on, while also being able to, like, in, in the fact that it's a threat, but it can also, like, accelerate you, it, it's kind of like a hate piece versus certain decks, you know, if they're using their graveyard to any kind of advantage and stuff like that, so... Just a really cool card that's also very hard to interact with from your opponent. And then randomly you can just kill them too on a turn where you're just like, all right, like cast two creatures. I have devotion now, like attack you with this huge indestructible creature. So another card that I think, I don't know if I'd want to play like a ton, ton of this card, but it just depends on what the format looks like. This card is pretty damn good in a bunch of matchups. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You don't want a ton of it. It's a card where the first copy has a lot of value and it quickly goes down being a legend. It's, it's both a legendary permanent but oftentimes, you know, really powerful legendary permanents, you'll still play four because your opponent is likely to kill them, 
right? And so you'll just have the backup copy. Clothis is so difficult to remove from the battlefield, and it's not at the power level where they have to deal with it or they die. Otherwise, it would be broken because it's so difficult to remove. Um, so you really don't want to draw the second and third copies. So, you know, one or two looks really good. We see two here. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, the one copy of Ronus makes a lot of sense. The, 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 the deck list look, looks, it just looks solid to me. I'm, you know, you know, this is the kind of deck that I always like playing, but I understand, like, you know, it's just so dependent on its opening hand. I get, if you're playing this deck, like, mulligan pretty aggressively because you just want to curve out. And, you know, yeah, it'll feel bad when you curve out and your opponent kills your stuff and you have no hand left, but those are the games that this deck is going to lose. You know, when that happens, you just got a top deck. And that's kind of, that's just what this deck is about. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the good news is the deck is, is very good at top decking now with eight dragons really, yeah, and two Crater's really Claws and Turn Timber Symbiosis. Um, so, you know, a, a cool deck. I've, we started to see it pick up a little bit. I will say, looking at this list in particular, I would want, like, two Rootbound Crags over a Forest and a Mountain. So I'm, I'm looking at 15 turn one green sources. I think you can afford to be at four, or actually you're at 17. Yeah, you can definitely afford some, because of the turn timbers, you can definitely afford some Rootbound Crags to ha make sure you have double red more reliably on turn three. Um, that's the one thing I will say about the list, but other than that, it looks solid. This deck is cool. This is kind of like your slightly bigger aggro deck. You know, it's not low to the ground like Mono Black or Boros or Auras. Uh, you know, your creatures are, are hard hitters, but it's not like Minota where you're all in on these synergies. It's all individually really powerful cards. And usually these decks level up when their weak links get leveled up. Because when you're all about individually powerful cards, it's those games where you draw the worst card in your deck, where your deck looks really bad. And that's where the Goldspan Dragon Edition comes in. So even though it's not a great Goldspan Dragon deck, just having another great, you know, five mana, four power haste dragon, uh, you know, really helps. You know, you do still have some mana sinks with it. The Great Henge, Turn Timber Symbiosis, Crater's Claws. So uh, a cool deck and definitely one to watch out for moving forward because this is, you're right, this is a deck we haven't seen in quite a bit. Yeah, I think the only, like, one of the other big surprises for me looking at this top eight, because like you said, this is the one that you, like, you really want to look at to see what's happening in the, in, if you want to be competitive in this format, because this is the showcase, you know, is where people are having to put in, you know, the, the, the highest quality of players is going to be in this, so the, the highest competition, and you have to go all the way to 10th place to find your first Jund Sacrifice, like, Bola Citadel deck, and that's kind of surprising to me, because that's a deck that, like, I feel like had really been rising up the ranks a lot, and maybe just a bad tournament for it, maybe just people were not playing it as much and they were playing all the other decks but i i expect to see at least one copy of that in this top eight and we did not yeah um you know i still think it's a good deck let's see how, how many decks had grafter's cage I, when i control f cage on the page i see seven and it looks like that's accurate we have seven out of these 32 deck lists had cage in their sideboard um you know i don't uh that seems reasonably high so you know you know you you can never draw too, too high of a conclusion from one tournament I still think the deck is good, but we're starting to see the hate pick up for it again. Um, and, uh, you know, th that's a problem. It might, you know, th that 10th place list you see has a couple Assassin's Trophies in the sideboard. That's a nice, versatile removal spell that can help you in your normal game plan, but will also tag cages when you're not, uh, you know, especially if you're playing a closed deck list event and you're just never sure if your opponent has cage. Trophy is the kind of card that you could bring in and feel good about it in basically any matchup. You know, from blue-white control to mono-black aggro, you can have trophy in your deck. Not that great against mono-black, I will admit, but you can have it in your deck, and it's not embarrassing. Uh, so that's the kind of card that is nice to have, especially in closed deck list. In open deck list, maybe you want something a little bit more targeted in your sideboard, but yeah, it's it's time to start preparing for the hate if you're a John Sacrifice player.
Absolutely, absolutely. All right, where'd you want to go next? Uh, let's slide over to the regular challenge where we're going to see a, a lot of repeats through this top eight. So we're not going to spend as much time, uh, you know, talking over every list. But in first place, you see, you know, Niv-Mizzet. This is what I would say is a more typical list. Um, still got a decent number of creatures. Um, but I like the extinction event. I like at least one exile-based sweeper. Um, and I like the, you know, it's not as spread out. It's more two ofs of the removal spells they think are going to be good instead of just all one ofs. Usually these lists don't draw quite as many cards off of Niv-Mizzet, but the difference between drawing, you know, three cards and five cards is actually not that small. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I like these more focused lists of, of the Niv-Mizzet deck. Second place, we see Orzhov Auras again, just cementing that deck, uh, you know, is the best Auras list. Third place is an interesting one. This was a list I first saw, you know, from Willie Edel. I don't know if he, you know, just glommed onto it or was the progenitor of the archetype, but he usually builds these kind of mid-range decks and he usually builds them a little weird. You know, I remember Willie Edel's modern Jund list always looking a little bit different than everyone else's in 2014 yeah. and 15. And here he's built a Rakdos mid-range deck that is really true mid-range. You know, we're playing Magmatic Channeler, Bone Crusher Giant, Murderous Rider, these sort of, you know, clean two-for-ones, Croxa. We're going up to Kalidus, but also have some Hazarets. You know, we want to be a little bit aggressive. Still got that good removal. Rick's Mighty Reveler is a card that I just love. Like, I like... I, I just love cards like this that, you know, give you a little bit of marginal value. They can be a little aggressive. They can trade for your opponent's early aggro creatures. If you draw them late in the game, they have really high upside. Um, they're usually not that powerful with the way magic works these days. Magic is a little bit too haymakery. Uh, but in a deck like this, works really, really nicely. You know, you can filter away a removal spell against control. You can make sure you hit your land drops against aggro. Just does a lot of little things in a deck. Um, so the kind of card I like, this is not the kind of deck I like. It's just pure mid-range nonsense. But, you know, to me, this this is the most successful, like, Jund-style deck, even if it doesn't have the green in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I think this is, like, the closest one to Jund, like you said, that you've seen. I mean, like, this car, this deck has collective brutality in it. Rick's Muddy Reveler, like you said, Murderous Rider, like, outside of, like, you know, a mono-black aggro deck. We haven't really seen anything like that. Um, I kind of like it. I, I like the deck. I think it's pretty cool. It's using Magmatic Channeler to be, you know, another big, like a good early card for some card advantage and filtering. You know, it works really well with Croxa. You know, we've seen in the past that like I get rid of some of the cards that might not be good game one, but can be a, you know, a big time threat in the future as well. So definitely a cool deck. Um, it, it's the kind of deck that I can find myself playing with, but like, this is one of those ones you need to play a lot and understand your matchups well, because I do think power level, you might be a little behind on some people. So you need to understand your matchups well. Really, really good point. And I completely agree. Definitely, you know, even if it looks like a pretty straightforward, you know, kill their stuff, draw some cards, play some creatures kind of deck, you need to be like, you know, getting max value out of all your cards to stay ahead with some of the synergies that the other decks are, are putting together. Um, fourth place, another Niv-Mizzet deck. This deck still in that sort of classic style, no Nissa here. One singleton that I want to highlight is the Blood Baron of Viscopa. I think this yeah. card is really well positioned right now. There's a good amount of mono, of mono black, both vampires and aggro. Um, and, you know, even, you know, decks playing like Chain to the Rocks and stuff, right? Like that, you know, even against like, you know, Boris Wizards, they, they're playing Chain to the Rocks to try to deal with creatures like this. So great lifelink creature. Uh, that they, they're going to have to two-for-one themselves to deal with. Uh, this is definitely one I would take a long look at as a uh, singleton, either in the main or in the sideboard. You know, you can put it, at, uh, but somewhere in your 75 looks really, really strong to me. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Um, which ones do you want to look at next? Well, let's just keep going down the list. Here's here's your John DeSacrifice deck in fifth place. So, you know, making top eight of the challenge. I see this as a, a list playing Witch's Oven, which Sam Party did last weekend, winning the uh, Super Qualifier. So won a major event last weekend. You know, this deck's not going anywhere, but people are definitely starting to respect it. I'm a little um, skeptical of Witch's Oven because the deck's, uh, you know, it, it really lowers your creature count. So a, this list is on 27, but I think it's a slightly lower land count than most. Um, and it's just going to make sideboarding a little hard, but it's hard to go wrong with a Cauldron Familiar, which is oven, you know, combo, especially when you, you can even company into Cauldron Familiar when you have an oven to get that, uh, that going. Um, sixth place is our Mono Black Aggro deck. We see the Snow Mana base here. Basically, whatever Tiago Saparito, who's Bolivo on, on MTGO, does, every other Mono Black player does, because he plays more of that deck than any person does of basically any deck. Um, and this is this is you know this is his exact list. Uh, I'm not sure if the sideboard is exactly the same, but the main deck is certainly right there. Uh, I like Faceless Haven. You know, we, we talked about this I think last week, where like Castle Lockwing was always you know it was good, but it was always one of those things that like you would rarely activate it for how good you thought it was. Yeah, uh, I think having the, the creature land is a lot more important, especially now that your uh, actual creatures get handled a lot more easily with these exile-based sweepers since the printing of Extinction Event and Shadow's Verdict. So you you actually need more resilience. Like the, you know, Bloodsoak Champion and Dreadwanderer aren't what they used to be. Yeah. And uh, we can kind of skip over the next couple of lists because it's, it's just redundancy here. But I do want to talk about the 8th place list because this is a deck that you like quite a bit here. Because uh, we kind of mentioned this deck a few weeks ago in the fact that like this new Grixis control deck that was taking advantage of a new cool way to make Valky get into play. And... This is that deck, just minus the cool way to put Valkyrie into play. <laughs> but plus another cool way to put Valkyrie into play. So we've, we've replaced Release to the Wind, which doesn't have a lot of utility outside of that combo, with Bring Delight, which has a lot of utility outside of that combo. And, you know, just playing just barely enough to get to four, you see two copies of Blightstep Pathway, you know, which can both cast Tybalt from your hand and get you that fourth color of mana for Bring Delight so that it can find Languish and Extinction Event and Kalidus. But otherwise, generally just being a five mana Valky or, you know, a five mana removal spell, maybe Liliana the Last Hope. Um, personally, I would like to see a few more red sources so that you could hit four off Bring Delight more often. And I've actually started to see some lists of this deck that move more into being just a four-color deck. You know, they're playing some Ketria Triumphs, maybe other Red Lands in their mana base. They're playing things like Culligan's Command. You know, just a you know more of a Sultai Splash Red than you know this this is really a Sultai deck. Uh, what you see with this list, so I think this is just an evolution of that. Just trying to play Valky in more of a controlling shell as opposed to that mid-range tap-out shell of Niv Mizzet. Um, it makes sense to me. You know, I, I was high on the release of the Wind deck when I saw it. I played with it on Versus. Uh, when I saw it in action, you know, release of the Wind was such a, you know, weak card outside of that one role that it really hampered you. So having just the more versatile Bring Delight makes a lot of sense. I think this deck is, you know, the, the next step in the evolution of that kind of archetype. Uh, and, you know, excited to see where it goes from here. Absolutely. This is, this is a deck that catches my eye. Uh, I, I definitely could see myself playing this deck. I, if you wanted to play that black-red deck that we were just talking about, this one's a different deck, but a very similar vein, and I think has a little bit more power behind it, possibly here. So I think this is a deck that I would be trying out before I tried out the other one. I'm not sure. We'd have to, we'd have to see or whatever, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is just 
mono black splashing a little bit of blue, a little, a little, a little tiny bit of red, a little tiny bit of green here or there to, to fit in a couple cards. You know, it does have a couple blue cards with Opt, Negate, and Shark Typhoon, but I mean the, the rest of the deck is just you know basically black splashing Bring the Light. You know, for a good easy way to get like a very powerful type thing of Valky, but you also have like cool other targets for your Bring Delight, right? Like you have the main deck Kalidus, right? If you if you need something like a Liliana Last Hope, you've got it. You know, you got a couple big big plays here, an Extinction Event and Languish as well behind this. Yeah, you so, don't need to go overboard with your tutor targets. Right. You know, you want a big threat to be able to play other than Valky if your opponent has, you know, somehow stopped that. So Kalidus is good at that. It's also a source of life gain against like a burn deck if that's what you're looking for. So, you know, if Kalidus is great, plays both roles. You got your sweepers, you know, you've got removal spells that you're playing normally. Um, I guess I said mentioned Liliana. That's definitely not a target for uh, Bring the Light. I always forget this card can't find Planeswalkers. Never really yeah, made same, sense to same. me why it can't. Uh, you know, for like, is that too powerful? Who the fuck knows? Um, Especially since it does find a Planeswalker in this deck. Yeah, now so. it does. <laughs> Um, so, you know, cool deck. Um, this is definitely, you know, this is one of your options as a control player. This is more of a tap out style control deck, but not nearly as, you know, tap out as the niv deck. Uh, so something to look into, but I know you said, speaking of decks that caught your eye. Well, I don't know if real quick, one more thing on the last one before this is usually your, your sentence. Hey, one more thing before we move on. This is the deck where if you're coming back to pioneer, after being away for, you know, most of the year because of COVID and like, you don't get to play a lot of paper that you want to try it online. If you were the uh, blue black inverter player in the past, these are the decks that I think I would be looking at if I were you, because these play very similar type games. Yeah. Of being a lot a of very cheap disruption. Pro- yeah. Very proactive and like in your control, like, cause the, the inverter deck was a control deck, but it was a very proactive control deck because all it's looking for is that one window to just slam something and end the game. And while Valky doesn't end the game on the spot like Inverter Oracle did, it kind of just ends the game when it happens. We've talked about this. You're not coming back from these spots very often. so Yeah, not a heavy counterspell control deck. You only see the couple negates in the main deck and then the Mystical Disputes in the sideboard against opposing counter decks. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. If, if Inverter was your jam and you left Pioneer you know, because of the ban or, or you know, around that time, uh, for other reasons, this is the deck I, I would come back with. And speaking of decks that I would come back with, I know what you were about to talk about. You're talking yeah. about these decks in the preliminary, right? No, I'm talking about the ninth place list that you did not scroll down to. Oh, I'm, I'm going down to scroll. Okay. Have, have you figured it out yet? The Enigmatic Incarnation deck? Yeah. Oh, boy. This deck oh, is ooh. ridiculous. It's got four Path of the World Tree in it. Yes. This is a very Tannin deck. You know? Yes. It's Enigmatic Incarnation, Fires of Invention, a this ridiculous toolbox of creatures, uh, you know, early enchantments, Nylea's Presence to fix your mana and is a good thing to sacrifice, Omen of the Sea, Path of the World Tree, Trial of Ambitions. So you're finding a lot of threes. And I know, uh, do they have... Yeah, this, this list only has one Renegade Rallyer. I think earlier lists played more. This is something I think Claudio, the, uh, someone who plays a lot in Div Visit, uh, started working on it. Might have been someone else. So don't don't you know hold me uh, too hard to to that. But I think it was Claudio. But you know your value play is like sacrifice Omen when I play Enigmatic Incarnation, get Renegade Rally or return Omen, draw some more cards, set myself up. You know you 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 can sack some of the four drops. You can eventually sack you know fires right and just get your five drop and go over the top. You can find your Kenrith, your Cavalier Dawn, your Blood Baron of Viscopa, anything uh, of that effect. 
You know, you could sack a two-drop and find Luris and set up to just keep replaying the twos every turn. Uh, this deck has so many weird stuff. We played it on Versa. It is completely ridiculous. It's obviously a Luris deck. You have so many great things to blink with it. Uh, you know, the the one glass pool mimic is an awesome thing to find off all your twos and just clone something. And honestly, like, I thought this deck was going to be completely a meme. It is not, it is a competitive deck. I don't know exactly how competitive, but we're, you know, I don't think we've seen it break into a top eight yet, but I've seen it consistently in top 16s, you know, yeah. like multiple people, multiple finishes. So, you know, and that with how ridiculous, how large the toolbox is, this is going to, this is the kind of deck that's going to take a while to tune. And I think when people get it right, it could really do something. So if you're the kind of person who's into nonsense, this is the kind of deck that you should probably be working on. It is the most nonsense of nonsense decks, maybe in the history of the format. <laughs> yeah, big fan. Also like that the uh, the inner commander player and everybody came out here because like this this feels like a commander type idea of what they're doing. And it's got four flicker of fate in the sideboard. So if you're a big fan of like that kind of thing going on and like, you know, big deck formats, this deck is definitely for you. Yeah. Uh, I will say sweet one. one more thing before we get to the, the prelim decks. The big loser from this weekend for me is Rakdos Arcanist, a deck that was yes. doing really well for the last couple weeks. Didn't show up this weekend. You see it in the, in the top 16s and top 32s, but no top 8s. Um, definitely seems like people are reacting to that deck. Um, you know, a powerful deck, but one that really folds to Graveyard Hate. It is very dredgy in that respect. Because even though it's a kind of a value deck, all of its value, other than Young Pyromancer, is predicated on the graveyard. Um, so that, to me, is just more of a metagame deck. Right now, the metagame doesn't look great for it. So if you were on that, I would look to move off of it for now and have that in your back pocket. Um, yeah, because it's it's definitely on the downswing. Yeah, absolutely. And moving on to the preliminary decks, the first one immediately jumps out to me, and I think you know why. Um... So the the first the this is actually the second one because the first one is Orzavoras, but it's among oh, the four O's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the four O's, right. yes. The one the ones that we're not skipping because yeah. we talked about Orzavoras, but but it has two copies of Torrential Gear Hulk. So Tannen did not look at any other decks. Yep, <laughs> he only has eyes for you. <laughs> you know, someone asked a question uh, like a month or whatever ago about like what are your favorite pet cards that have never actually been good or like you just always try to make good and they've just like never lived up to it. Torrential Gear Hulk is probably one of the biggest answers for me or Fat Caster Mage as a lot of people like to... Honestly, I think Torrential Gear Hulk would have been a staple of this format if it hadn't been for Mystical Dispute. Yeah, I think that card is an abomination. I hate that card. Yeah, so do I. If you had literally... If they had announced Pioneer in like June... Or July, and given us three months before Mystical Dispute was printed, I think you would have seen a lot of Torrential Gear Hulks. Yeah, because no. Torrential Gear Hulk would, would dig through time is, I think, one of the most powerful things you can do in the format. Yeah, but tapping out for six mana and doing nothing because your opponent tapped one mana is one of the least powerful things you can do in the format. <laughs> yeah, so like it's definitely one of the, the harder spots to, to put yourself in the game. Is like if your opponent has blue mana up in a, in a sideboarded game against you, like you're going to have to play the game in, in different ways. So you may have to be like, you know, start playing this dance that, you know, all of us control players are used to when the sideboard games happen, where you're going to be like testing them. Like you're going to be like possibly hard casting a shark typhoon at some point, depending on what happens, or just casting your dig through times at the end of turn be like, all right, dig, do you want to, and like make it to where you, you can, uh, mystical dispute this maybe, or like, you know, you, you get what I'm saying like, there's going to be 
it's going to be a lot harder. There's going to be a lot of finesse involved. Yeah, and I like those games. That's that. I think that's where you know a lot of my my skill set is is better at. I mean, I'm probably just because I have more practice and I'm more used to it. And that's going to be an interesting spot to be. Um, for me, I think it's an interesting spot where they. I don't know if this is interesting because I think this is just correct, but they they do have a cancel variant in this deck, right? Like they have a three mana counterspell, and it's always interesting to see which version people want to use. And since this deck has two behold the multiverse in it, you would think people want to use saw it coming, right? So you can kind of you know, which one is it type thing. But this deck runs four Sinister Sabotage, and I think that's actually just correct in a deck that's also running four Dig Through Time. Yeah, you know, just that. Uh, honestly, I would think it's correct even without Dig. I think just getting the value when you actually cast it as a counterspell is the most important thing. Um, I, I, So to me, like a, it's a no-brainer to be playing Sin- Sinister Sabotage. I think it's better than Disallow straight up. I think it's better than, you know, uh, Neutralize, better than Saw It Coming. It's just number one. If you, When you have Dig through time, it's. I don't think it's even close. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Like, I, I think this is one of those decks. So it's just, a, you know, it's just your typical blue black control deck that we see in these formats. And I think these decks rise up when, like, formats are generally somewhat defined. Like, you know, you know what decks you're going to be playing against. So you know what removal you need. You know what sideboard cards you need. You know what hate you need. And you think you're in a good spot where, hey, I'm good against creature decks, but I could also go toe to toe with the decks that are going longer because my stuff is going to be just a little bit more powerful, right? And yeah, you're gonna have all these like dead removal spells game one against some of the other like bigger decks. You know, like Fatal Push isn't at its greatest in certain matchups. Like it's not very good against, you know, five color Niv Mizzet and stuff. It's not, you know, cards aren't that great. But the thing is, is like, as long as you interact with the few cards in their deck that matter, you have huge Shark Typhoons and huge Torrential Gearhawks that are gonna happen until the game changes in sideboard. And then even then, they're playing 80 card decks most of the time. So they can't really rely on always having their sideboard cards at the right time. You know, and then you start get, you get to start bringing in other cool stuff out of your sideboard as well. Another deck that's really utilizing Extinction Event and Shadows Verdict a lot in this format too to help just really nail home the fact that this is going to be very good in uh, creature matchups as well. So if you're in a creature-heavy meta, I think this is a really good deck to be playing as well. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And, you know, even with that bias, the deck certainly still has a lot of game in control of mid-range matchups with the efficient counter spells and dig through time you know definitely this is your classic draw go play on your opponent's turn control deck um and the the interesting thing to me is that it's also one of the three ones in this prelim the next deck down but the lists are very different you know the second list has a lot more very variation in its counter spells it's not playing any sort of cancels it's playing syncopates negates essence scatterer drown in the lock all two mana counter spells um, and, and a little bit more, it's playing Thoughtseize in the main. The other list only has a couple in the sideboard. So this is the kind, this is a deck I've been seeing more recently. And, you know, certainly, you know, the community has not, you know, nailed it down on a build, but definitely, you know, this is the deck for your, you classic control players. Uh, and there, there is room to innovate here. I will say, I kind of like how clean the first list is. I think I think the answers are, you know, generic enough that you don't need to go uh, that varied when I'm normally on the more varied side of things. Um, but I think that the cards are powerful enough that you don't need to do that. Like m- maybe you break a little bit, you know, play, th- you know, 
three censor and three sabotage and get two copies of something else in there. You know, I wouldn't mind one drown on the lock because it's such a flexible card to draw late in the game. But for the most part, like you want your fatal pushes, you want all your dig through times, you know, you want sinister sabotage handles everything. So does censor at least early. Um, interestingly, both lists playing two copies of behold the multiverse as their, you know, kind of medium card draw spell to play with gear Hulk. And we said this, you know, uh, when the card was previewed that it, it's the best, you know, glimmer of genius variant probably printed it was just that glimmer of genius was a you know a much it was in a much better position in its standard environment than behold the multiverse has been being printed alongside torrential gear hulk and uh and things like that so uh definitely a deck to watch out for this is you know this entire prelim was kind of like good tier two decks or at least had a lot of them not not all of it uh because further down you also see two copies of is it phoenix a deck that I, you know, if you go through the top 16s and 32s of other events, you'll find it sneaking around. Uh, and the interesting thing to me is the list hasn't really changed. Like, this is the Is It Phoenix deck that was mediocre six months ago and nine months ago. Uh, I'm not sure really what has changed with this deck, but I don't really care because if I can play Arclight Phoenix, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like I, the I'm one copy little... of Ox of Agonis. I'll say that. You know, that's yeah. kind that's new ish. It's still like a year old. Um, yeah, I mean, like that's a cool one with uh, strategic planning, right? Like another card that you can just dump into your graveyard that you just don't care about and can get value for later in the game. But I got to say this, when it comes to this deck, I played it a lot when the format was first out and whatever. I'm not sure I'm excited about this one just because this might be a flash in the pan. I Obviously, I want it to be good. I love these decks. I want you to be happy and be able to play your deck. But like, I don't, I think this deck's like a card, a, a powerful card off of being good. If that makes sense. Yeah. In particular, a powerful one mana instant or sorcery. <laughs> like it, yeah. it needs another one. It needs careful study. Yeah. Know? Like, like, you know, like Faithless Looting is too good. It needs it, like careful it, study. Yeah. It needs it needs something between like Thought Scour and, care, and careful study. Like something in that range. And I'm just not sure something like that is ever coming. I feel like they're just going to reprint opt in every standard environment from here till the end of time. <laughs> So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, because, you know, decks that are just a bunch of cheap cantrips are really, you know, they, they don't want to power those up as much, and for good reason. Um, but, you know, you never know. I kind of wonder if there's ever going to be a sort of hybrid dredge Arclight Phoenix deck if they print enough, you know, cheap mill cards. Because Tome Scour is legal, and this list is playing Merfolk Seeker Keeper. Like, if you had one more of that kind of card, and you were in, like, Jace Vryn's Prodigy, right? And you could go, like, turn one, Tome Scour myself, turn two, Jace, turn three, activate Jace, discard a Phoenix, Tome Scour myself again, play this, uh, you know, treasure cruise from my hand, because my graveyard is huge, have one or two Phoenixes in my graveyard, and then interact with your creature, right? Play a Wild Slash that I drew off my treasure cruise, return my one or two Phoenixes. That's a pretty cool curve. The problem is, it's a really risky curve to have, because you're playing all of these mill cards, so you need to be getting other value out of them. So I was wondering, like, you know, if you have Narc Amoeba and Prized Amalgam and Creeping Chill, all of which are legal in Pioneer, uh, you know, can, can you make that work? Because Arclight like Phoenix can also trigger Amalgam. You know, there's some different synergies there. But all of those cards are, you know, not instants and sorceries that you're casting. It would be a different—I think it would be a completely different thing if Creeping Chill was, like, like you cast it for zero mana when you mill it. 
I've heard people like want that to happen because then they could, you know, like interact with it with spell pierces and stuff like that. And I just think to myself, like, you don't actually want that to happen because you don't want me to arc light Phoenix. You know, like the the first time your opponent, like, you know, glimpse uh, or uh, glimpse the unthinkables themselves in modern and hits like, you know, two creeping chills and two arc light Phoenixes, you're, 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 you know, retiring. You're just like, I'm you're done with this. Magic. Yeah. It's not, not, I'm done. This is over. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I, I'm going to go home. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home kind of thing. Yeah, definitely don't want that. I, I hadn't heard that, but that, that does not sound fun to me. Yeah, you know, that that's, you know, just what I think of. You know, b- being a person who's played a lot of Dredge and Arclight Phoenix, of course I'm the one who realizes how they could have possibly intersected. <laughs> you yeah. know, what if I get to do both things? What if I get to have my cake tannin and eat it too? Yeah, what if I get to do all of it? Yeah, exactly, so... <laughs> That's basically how I live my life. How can I do everything I want? Was there any other decks that you wanted to get a hit on, or did you want to get a couple of uh, over-unders out of the way in the mailbag question before we go? I just wanted to give one shout-out to the last list in this prelim. You know, we don't have to go super in-depth in it. It's another 3-1 list. This is a mono-blue devotion deck with Collected Company, you know, playing Gadwick and Brazen Borrower, but it has this uh, really cool elemental theme with four copies of Risen Reef and three Master of Waves. You also have Glass Mimic to copy Master Waves, which is really cool. You know, you got your Nykthoses. Uh It's also accelerating with the, you know, green elves. So you get to that point of the game faster. Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves. With Bark Channel Pathway, you, like, you have enough dual lands to make it work. So the mana base is literally just 16 Simic dual lands that all come into play tapped on the first three turns. Three Island, three Nykthos. Uh, really cool deck. This is the kind of thing that I think you have the space to do and brew in Pioneer right now because it's so open and, you know, really just want to hammer home our, our, the point here that, like, you know, we just talked about probably 15 different decks, right? All of which, if I saw it first place in a challenge or even as a bigger tournament on Moto, I would not be surprised. I'd be like, oh, cool, that deck won. You know, and I, I, you can't say that about any other format right now. And those 15 decks span the, the gamut of different kinds of aggro decks, different kinds of mid-range decks, a couple different kind of control decks. There was one combo deck at the very least. There are decks with, that are more synergy-driven, decks that are more good stuff-driven. You know, it really is... Uh, uh, it's, it's, this is the best place Pioneer has ever been. Because, yeah, you know, I, I could definitely kind of agree with you there. There's no card that is like standing out that hey this is like a problem right now we should maybe think about banning this thing um there's a lot of diversity going on every color is represented pretty well like the the the, the good uh auras decks while they're orzov it's practically a mono white deck like 80 to 90 percent of that deck is white you know so like we're seeing white get represented in in uh, pioneer which was a which was a hard problem for for a while I mean, you're not seeing the burn deck, which is pretty funny. And for a while, the red white burn deck was doing like absurd things in the format and winning a lot of tournaments. Now it's just like not showing up. So maybe there's a spot where that's going to be good again at some point. So yeah, I think this is a good time for not only us as a show to kind of sweep back to our roots. And, you know, this is the pioneer podcast, but I got to say, you know, with paper magic possibly on the horizon in the next six to 12 months, that pioneer okay what's the what's the lord of the pioneers back on the menu boys you know kind of thing so yeah uh definitely true and you know i i just think it was only the the format was released in late october and we spent that first month november right just every week it was like okay what's the next broken thing people are going to find that has to get banned and we spent a month doing that, kind of setting the ban list. The, and by the Monday Dece- morning thing, yeah. Yeah, and by December, things had kind of opened up. And December and January were those two glorious months 
where things you know, were great. You could play almost anything. Things were wide open. But we kind of knew that, like, the end was coming. You know, eventually you know, some people were going to figure things out. It turns out the end was coming in the form of a new set, and it was all Theros Beyond Death cards that ruined everything in Uro and Underworld Breach and Thassa's Oracle. Um, and the, the because of COVID, the format like, just sort of laid dormant for months after that without a lot of help. And now, once all those problems have been cleared up, the format really is wide open again, and I don't see an obvious like deck or two or synergy that the the metagame is going to coalesce around. It really does look like this kind of um, you know open metagame is here to stay. So if you've been you know shied away from Pioneer for whatever reason, please give it another try. Absolutely, like look into it. It's it's still great. It's going to be great. Hopefully we get some paper sometime soon because yeah. that's where this, this set's really And when gonna... you play it in paper, you don't have to shuffle your deck seven times a game. Yeah, that's awesome. And <laughs> I, I, I still stand firm to the thing that we said quite a lot going into it. I, I thought and I firmly believe that had you know COVID not happened, like let's say we were still playing the SCG Tour, we're still playing GPs, that this was probably going to become the most popular format in Magic. I think this was going to become as big, if not bigger, than Modern. Yeah, with I a, agree. With a much better pricing situation. Like... You know, you don't have $80 fetch lands in your deck. You're not shuffling every... Like, uh, the games go by a little smoother. You know, you're not shuffling every single turn. You're not having to mark your life pad every single turn when someone does something. I, just, I felt like this is a much smoother ride in playing it. And it just felt like... It just feels like a good standard format. Which is great. You know, it's something I've been wanting for a while, so... Yeah, and if you're sitting at home thinking, well, you know, the format was still, you know, not going to be popular because of Jameer Inverter and all these combo decks, I promise you, if we were playing Paper Magic and they had Pioneer GPs, those cards would have been banned months before they actually were. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead and move into the, um, the the mailbag. We actually did have a mailbag question this week, and it's more of uh, Lee McLeod really just wanted something kind of, um, what's the right word I'm looking for here, just kind of souped up from from what happened because apparently got cut off you had a rant going on about handwriting and he says how does ross feel about handwriting because he was really into that conversation and apparently did not get enough of it so i i don't i don't remember the exact impetus that led me down this road i know it was going to be a tangent and i know what the tangent was going to be but i don't i don't remember exactly what the lead-in was but my point about handwriting was going to be it's one of those, th- I, I think I was maybe talking about the difference of, you know, was it you, you or whoever you're talking about who improved at something or everyone else just not like getting worse around you? And it was a thing I noticed with handwriting because um, I don't know if this is true of you, but when I was in elementary school, handwriting was a grade on our report card. Yeah, like, you know, we learned cursive, which they don't do anymore, which, by the way, I think that's great. It's this was this was not a, a specific, like, section in school where cursive was a part of it. This was just, in general, across, like, your days in school, how good was your handwriting? Because, yes. you know, when you're dealing with, like, eight-year-olds, sometimes teachers would just get things that they, like, literally couldn't read. And it was like, you've really got to, like, work on your kids' fine motor skills. They have to have handwriting. Otherwise, like, like the, the nuts and bolts operations of their education are not going to work. Yeah, right. Uh, we could go into the depth of like the fact that I hate that you get an actual grade for it, and the fact that it should just be something like, "Hey, this person needs to improve this, make them work on yeah. that kind of thing." So it always tilted me because I got like B's and B pluses in handwriting, and it would just ruin my straight A report cards when I was a kid. Oh, of right? Course. You were one of those. Yeah, exa- Of course I was. Come on. Um, so 
like it, I found found it very annoying that I was getting like docked for handwriting. Um, and obviously, I was very happy to see it go away once I got into middle school. But by by the time I was like you know in high school and graduating high school in college, I would get you know friends of mine who were like looking at notes or whatever complimenting my handwriting, right? Like my handwriting was generally better than most people's, and I and I would look at their handwriting, and I remember you know since then uh, you know it was when I was traveling to Magic Turns, so I would look at people's deck lists, and I was like, how the fuck do you write like this? Like, it, it is just ridiculous that you think this is acceptable handwriting. Um, and you know, I know I've I've not put too much thought into it, but I've put some idle thought into like exactly what happened. And I was like, clearly, I didn't like you know vastly improve my handwriting, right? What I think happened was most other people got worse, and in general, it was most other people started using computers before I did. You know, I didn't have internet that's, access that's at my house yeah. until my senior year of high school. I hand wrote same. a lot of assignments. Uh, you know, throughout high school and middle school and stuff. And so I was generally just writing things more, much more often than I was typing. And I and, think and so, like, for most for people, me, they were typing more. Yeah, for me, I, I definitely like agree with some of that, but I think it's, it's mostly like people just don't care as well. Like as long as it's legible, like it's fine. So right? many people's handwriting is not legible. I 100% agree with you. Like, obviously, like, you know, the, the typical uh, doctor joke, you know, yeah. like I, I've joked before when if you see me write in cursive, it's horrific, right? It's actually horrific. Other, other than your name. Yeah, other than my name. Yeah, whatever. Like when I'm signing, because I've done that literally, you know, a million times or whatever. But like um, when I'm just writing in cursive, I, I go so fast because I just want to get it over with. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like, because, like, no one writes anymore, really. Like, we do a little bit, obviously, but, like, I just don't want to do it anymore. I print, and I always printed because it was just cleaner. I, I found that I could read it better. I did it almost as fast as cursive, and cursive is stupid. Yeah, so, I never liked cursive either. I always printed. Yeah, I'm glad they've I'm glad they gotten rid of it and stuff. And it's just, it's just it, it was just a pain in the ass more than anything. So I think you're right with your stuff, but there's also the parts of, like, people stopped caring, didn't want to try as much anymore, and it's the speed of the thing, right? Like, when you're going through it, you just want it to be done. You want to be done with writing. It's 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 why people talk the way they do nowadays, and that we text instead of calling. It's more it's less time consuming. It's less of a uh, it's less of a demand on your attention. You. I think is the big thing between text and calling. Yeah, exactly. It's like less of, like there's only a few people in the world that I like talking to on the phone. You know what I mean? Like I just don't do it anymore. Canon calls me frequently, phone. by the way, so I'm I'm on that list. You are one of those people. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like I'm, I'm just mostly in agreement with you on everything. And I'm not really like not in agreement with you. I'm just saying it's like it's most for me, it's laziness and the unwillingness to care. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's also a big part of it. And it, But it's not like I, you know, continuously cared about my handwriting. I literally just maintained the same level of handwriting that I had as mm -hmm. like a 10 year old. And I feel like most people write have worse handwriting at the age of 20 than they do at the age of 10. And oh, honestly, that's, that's well, shameful. You, it's like it's less practice, um, less impetus put on it to have better handwriting because like you're not getting graded on anymore. Which, by the way, the things that we grade kids on nowadays. I mean, we shouldn't grade kids at all on anything. Yeah, obviously, I agree with that as well. But anyway, um, let's get through a few um, over unders. Where is the list on this? And then we can uh, kind of start wrapping up this episode because I, I got some stuff I got to do. Yeah, I this has been a lot. I think for the last four weeks in a row, Tan and I have both gone into each episode being like, this is going to be a little shorter than normal. Um, and we're kind of excited for that. And then it's just over two hours every time. Uh, Cathal just says, gifts ungiven. I, I don't know how to I, I don't know how to answer this one. I think that card is overrated. It's probably overrated at like this it, point. It, it, was, it was very, very good in block constructed. 
He was also quite good in vintage for a while, just generally setting up certain combos. But as like as like a fair, like you know, grindy magic card, it was really only good at block constructed. It was just really, really good at block constructed. Um, you know, it was, it was busted. It was like actually busted. Yeah. It's, um, people joke about like some of the best like standard and block decks of all time and the numbers they put up. You know, you think about like Arcbound Ravager, Affinity. You know, and like there's a couple other block decks and standard decks are. If you go by pure numbers, I remember someone talking about this one. It's like pure, pure numbers of like winning events and win rate. Gifts Given might have been the most dominant of all time in its, in, in its block format. Uh, if, if it wasn't higher than Ravager Affinity. But it also had like less of a target on its back. It wasn't, you know, at the time, it wasn't like the thing you have to Yeah, like, there were a few decks in that format. There was Mono Blue, Mono White, Mono Black. The format was heinously bad in terms of mana fixing. So if you weren't playing green, you were monocolored, by the way. Yeah, if you weren't playing... Uh, Tribelder, yeah, and Godama's Reach out and yeah. Sensei's Top. Uh, I was the, doing all that. Yeah, so you, I was doing that, but I was doing it in the Teamer Ramp Goto deck, which was super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the next one, this is from Fire Drinker Seder. Uh, Fresh Pasta, I will never accept an answer other than underrated because pasta is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's also like not that hard to make by yourself. Like, it's eggs and flour and salt, and you just kind of, you know, mix it together, knead it for 10 minutes, let it chill, roll it out and cut it i think we just named like your cooking show eggs flour salt you know like salt, <laughs> yeah, it, like salt fat acid heat fat. yeah salt fat acid heat yeah yeah there we go um the shrimp with another one here pencils versus pens i'm gonna go with uh pencils are overrated unless you're an artist and pens are uh properly rated um so like, you don't need you don't need a pencil for most things unless like you're you know a, you, you need to be able to erase it, which is, like, let's be real. That's not an actual thing too often. And then B, like, obviously pencils are better for, for art. For art. Ugh. Yeah, I, so I, as a math major, I also used a lot of pencil. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You get, like, there's only specific things where people are like, oh, but I, I want the idea, like, the chance to erase things. I'm like, why? You don't ever actually, like, there's not many things where you need to actually erase things. But when you do, obviously, you need a, you need a pencil. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right. Yeah. Okay. So Leah the Magician says Hollow One. I'm I'm gonna go with the deck in Modern, or whatever. And I'm gonna go with during its time when it was like when it was played a decent bit. I'm gonna go that it was underrated. I think it did not get just due because almost every time I saw a really good player put in the time and effort with that deck, the deck was very impressive every time. Yeah, uh, I think it kind of cycled through. I think at various points in its history, it was both. Uh, but overall, I would say it was more underrated than it was overrated. So uh, I'd agree with you there. DLC says the problem with APU documentary. I am unfamiliar. Uh, I don't even. What does APU stand for in that? I, I I'm not sure. All right, let's we'll we'll circle back to this one. Uh, yeah. Cathal says people suggesting cards for a deck without suggesting cuts. Uh, I definitely think this is underrated or however you want to put it. Uh, it does kind of tilt me when people are like, "You should play this card." I'm like, "All right, well then, what what when you what, what do I change? Like, what else do I do? You know, kind of thing. Like, I don't necessarily need them to suggest cuts, but I I'm annoyed when people phrase it is as why not X as if the as if every deck starts as a four of of every card and your goal is to justify cutting you know cutting it down like you're sculpting a, a statue from a block of marble right like that's not how it works you got to justify putting the card in that's the direction we move in in this uh you know in this field so as long as you're like asking you know you know why this card should be in I'm usually okay with it. Um, but yeah, you know, in general, you know, most people should have a better understanding of why cards are in decks or why they want to put cards in decks and they don't. All right. 
Help me, Jace says turn four formats. I'm going to say it was overrated because I want to play more Magic. I want to interact. Uh, more. I don't even. Th- I don't even think the idea of a turn four format is you know well defined or well understood. <laughs> so just the term itself is overrated because it's not very descriptive. Mm-hmm. I think most okay. people th- thought of it Agreed. as turn Agreed. four being like the first possible turn where you could reasonably expect to lose the game. And there's a difference between literally losing the game and effectively losing the game. So you got to split those hairs and it, it's just not a good framework for having these arguments. So overrated just on that basis alone. 100% agree with you. All right. Uh, last one. This is from the Shramp 01 as well. Taylor Swift. I'm going to go with massively underrated. She's a generational talent. I think it's pretty obvious that she's very, very good at what she does. All the personal shit aside and the joking stuff that people and the memes and everything. Obviously, she's absurd. So I I made a I made a good faith attempt to listen to the recent folk album that she put out. It got described as folky and I was like, okay, this might be something I like. Yeah. And I, I, I will admit, I, I saved one song off of it. There is a Taylor Swift song in my Spotify library. Oh, that's surprising. Yes, that's probably not, that's higher than you would have expected, right? Like yeah, the, yeah. the over under would have been point five, and you would have taken the under. Hundred percent, yeah. Yeah. So I, I put one song, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I can't really get into the T Swift. So I, I have to say overrated. But and when you say like you know generational, I agree. Like she's you know one of the most popular artists of the last twenty years, right? um and certainly of the last 10 so but i think people generally you know agree that that is the case and you know so that's the that's a high bar that you're comparing her to and i think she falls short of that bar yeah and you can you can you can appreciate talent even if it's not something you're into right like i am not a fan of the beatles but i understand that like the the impact they had you know i was not a big fan of nirvana you know at the time when music was making that kind of change and you could appreciate artists for the ability they have and the impact they have on a certain thing without being like this is specifically for me and it's one of those things i've tried to shy away from where if i don't like something i'm like yeah that sucks you know i I try not to do that as much try to take that out of my vocabulary vernacular a little bit more so you know obviously she's super talented and will always be underrated because you can't properly rate someone that is the goat at something they do you know that is like that is you know i'm not saying she's in what world is taylor swift the goat you you get i'm saying here I, I was trying to add more to that. It's like, there's no there's no single, like, artist where you're like, this is the greatest artist of all time, like, music-wise, right? And But you, you have this echelon of, like, people that were just, they transcended their genres. They, like, affected everyone around them, raised the bar in every way, made people around them better. And I don't mean necessarily, like, you know, like the Michael Jordan argument. He made his teammates better. I mean, like, you had to be better at music to keep up with Taylor Swift, right? She raised the bar in every way. Yeah, I, I like using Roger Federer as a benchmark there. I think like his Federer. dominance from yeah. 04 to 07 in the world of men's tennis forced the rest of tennis players to like be better than they otherwise would have been. Like I, do, I don't think Nadal and Djokovic reached the levels that they reached without Federer being there first. I think you're just right. I think you're just actually right there. So, uh, yeah, I think that'll be enough for this week. Uh, make sure you check out our sponsor, Barrister and Man. That's with two N's. I'm going to keep saying it every time now. Uh, Barristerandman.com. I've actually got an order uh, coming in. Let me so do I. Quick to make, sh- make sure I get everything. So, um, I was say, I want to make sure I get all these. Uh, I'm actually excited about this one. Where is my – here it is. My, my order is on the – God, my, my, my cursor moved. All right, my order is on the way. I have got a new shaving soap coming in. Um, and a new aftershave balm coming in. So I'm excited to see the the differences between this one and the one that I have already, right? And the, the smell of it. And I've also, I'm going to try it out 
He's, he's talked me into it. I'm going to try some beard oil. I've been growing it out a little bit more lately. You, you see it all the time. I mean, I'm not super hairy right now, but you see, you know, I'll go a week or two without shaving sometimes. So I'm going to try it out. If it's not for me, I'll just, you know, re-gift it. I got a buddy that's got a beard. And he He's one of those people, if you give him something like, hey, I tried this once, he's not going to be like, ooh, I don't want your open thing. You know, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be fine. I don't want your so, cooties tanning. Well, if if you if you think it's cooties, you can get him the cootie killer as well from Bear. <laughs> oh man, you thought you've seen all the angles. I'm so good at this, by the way. You gotta understand. Like, I did this for a living for like a year on a on a live TV show. I'm 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 good at this. I'm above average at the segue. Like, know how to use a word to bend it thing. So yeah. we're, we're good to go. I'm I'm out of practice more than I used to be, but. I still got some. I still got some chops there. So make sure you check out barristerman.com. Make sure you use the code uh, MTG Rants, not Pioneer Podcast, but MTG Rants to get fifteen percent off your order. Check out their stuff. I fully, fully endorse uh, the aftershave balm and shaving soap. These are two products that you've heard me mention multiple times. If you listen to the spiel about the the um, the support that we get on the show, they're two of my absolute favorite. So uh, make sure you check them out again. MTG Rants, fifteen percent off. They're awesome. Their owner's awesome. You're helping support local businesses. Do, do your do your part. All right, Ross. If people wanted to hear more of these rants from you, see you, see your your beautiful mug on screen. Where would they go for these things? Best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunneds. That's H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, you'll get updated on content and goings on. Good place to uh, also uh, ask me questions. Then there is my written content on Star City Games. Articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I actually took this week off from writing, so you will not find an article from me, but I promise you I'll be back next week. Then there is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the the SCG Twitch channel from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, you know, play in a variety of formats. And if you follow both of us on Twitter, you'll get updated. We're taking a lot more deckless submissions from viewers, regularly doing that now for one match each show. Um, maybe not 100% of the shows, but, you know, pretty regularly doing things like that. So you can get your decklist featured, get feedback from us and things like that. Uh, and if you catch us live, you can ask us questions live on the air. If you can't catch us live, then you can find the VODs up the following day on the SCG YouTube channel at 5 p.m. Eastern. And then finally, there is my Twitch channel. I've said this the last, like, you know, four shows in a row. I promise you it'll be coming back soon. I'm working on it. Um, but uh, if you want to give me a follow now to just be updated on Twitch when I come back to streaming, I am uh, Ross underscore Miriam, just my name there. So that's everything I am doing in every place you can find me. Tannen, where can people find you? Uh, I've actually been streaming quite a bit uh, recently. You could find me on Twitch under just Tannen Grace. Uh, a lot of limited uh, a little bit extractive bits on there, but I am qualified for the qualifier this weekend that is sealed. So I'm still just, you know, keeping myself, you know, playing the format, making sure I remember all the cards, et cetera, et cetera, making make sure, you know, the format's fresh in my mind. So I did, I did a few drafts today off stream, probably stream tomorrow. Um, I've been streaming a little bit of the cycling deck in standard. I think people are finally starting to realize that deck is actually legit and not a joke and not a meme. It's very, very good. Uh, it's been changing up quite a bit. I do think with the coming historic uh, anthology update that that car that deck's actually going to be possibly good and historic as well now, because uh, they're they're adding the one drop from uh, Amonkhet, uh, the one that where you discard a card. It gets uh, what was what was the one drop from Hollow One? The red oh, one drop. Uh, uh, flame blade. Blade Yeah, flame blade Yeah, that card is finally getting put into arena. 
So I think it's possible that that deck, you know, when that when that card goes live, I'm crafting four of them and I'm going to try that deck in historic because now you have you have eight one drops in the deck, which is if you've ever seen the deck play or you've played with it, any time that you have a one drop, you get to play Fox on one. The deck is significantly better and your win rate goes up. I would probably say 10 to 15 percent. Yeah, more. that's going to be a huge so, addition. Yeah, huge addition to that deck. We'd have to see if it fits, how it fits in Historic and stuff like that. So I'm pretty excited to see that. So you can check that out. On Twitter, I am just, uh, Twitter, I am the Tannen Grace. But if you type in Tannen Grace, it'll it'll find me too. So make sure you find that. Uh, the cast itself has a Twitter. It's MCG Rants. Easy to find on there. All the links to our Patreons and our Discords. Make sure you're active in there. That's how you get to ask questions on the show. Any of the overrated stuff is right now just a perk for everyone who's in the Discord. If you want to ask a specific question, and we usually take a little bit longer to answer them and go more in depth on them, that's a mailbag only uh, perk. That's a patron only perk. And we got some more perks coming for those people as well in the future. Plus, we do patron only episodes every now and then. Uh, we've been a little lax on them lately because we've been trying to keep up with everything that's going on. But maybe one's coming up sometime soon now that I mention it, Ross. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, gotcha. So uh, make sure you check out all those things and check us out next week. 